Blog Talk Radio. in between. Live from Los Angeles, California, welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Good evening, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted nor extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow me on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. The call number tonight with your questions is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and Sacred Air is every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. During the show, I can take questions in order in chat, or you may call in with your questions uh, after the first uh, hour of the show and speak with our special guests. Any buzz killers in chat or on the phone will be kicked out. And I have a copy of your number, and I'll call you back and bug you. So don't bug me, and please play nice and be polite. Anyway, I have a couple of announcements before we welcome our special guest tonight. Uh, Melinda Leslie has an amazing UFO tour in Sedona. I'm going to give you a number right off the bat. Her number is 928-282-2085. And she also does special speaking engagements about her uh, paranormal experiences. Uh, she uses Generation 3 military night goggles. We're seeing over 20,000 times more light that's possible with the naked eye. And then she says it's increasing your chances of having a UFO sighting by 20,000 Anyway, Melinda Leslie shares her expert knowledge and, also, and about her. The local vortex is over there in Sedona, which is supposed to be a beautiful area. Melinda's happy to share some of her own East T contact experiences, if you wish. And please sign up at the Center for a new age at any time. Anyway, her tours are $75 per person, and uh, for the first four people and the fifth person, it's free. And also, kids 14 under are always free, and kids are great at finding UFOs and love uh, doing the spotting uh, with the binoculars and everything else. So she said also gift certificates are available. So if you want to go out and tour the night stars, please go see Melinda Leslie. Anyway, also, I want to tell you a little bit about Serial International. It's a group that I belong to and have belonged to for almost 25 years. Uh, the director is Yvonne Smith, who is a renowned hypnotherapist, and she's also the president and director of Serial. And she is a very gifted person who has uh, written a couple of books on the alien um, uh, experience, and uh, one of them is called Chosen. You can find that on Amazon, and also she is a special speaker and has been on many television shows and everything else. Anyway, she's here locally in Southern California, but also can call, do phone calls and Skype, anything else you want if you need help, if you're an experiencer and want past life regression. So go ahead and give her uh, an email over at www.cerointernational.com. And now I want to tell you about a wonderful friend of mine. Her name is Melinda Melinda. Sorry, Marilyn Salas, I'm sorry. Selena Workshop 
And that is going on today, actually tonight. So she's over here in Ojai, so it's going on tonight over from 7 o'clock to 9 p.m. That's tonight, Friday. And she's at Ojai, and she's the creator of Love's Blessing Myth. And she's going to be discussing crystals tonight and mental clarity and awareness and decision-making, as well as uh, how things improve your intuition and psychic awareness. And she's also, let's see, she's sharing her 22 years experience of energy healing and experience and featuring her wisdom, knowledge, and the amazing healing crystal, Selene Knight. Anyway, where? Meditation Mount, 10340 Rees Road, Ojai, California, 93023. And the phone number over there is 805-646-5508. I love that girl very much, so please attend her event. And she is amazing. And, of course, her husband, Captain Robert Salas, is an amazing man that we all looked up to. Anyways, no charge. Open to the public. You can reach her at ohihealer at gmail.com or info at lovesblessing.com. And her, her website is www.lovesblessing.com. So anyway, I'm going to introduce you and read something about our guest tonight, Tom Reed. Now, Tom Reed is an amazing man with uh, some incredible experiences that uh, has been deemed true. And he's passed the lie detector test with uh, just short of 99, plus over 99% accuracy. And I just want to read you his bio and a little bit about him because this is an important case for all of us very interested in the UFO phenomena and uh, people coming out and being honest about their experiences. And he's one of the brave ones. He's one of the forerunners. Anyway, Tom Reed, he's a photographer and UFO experiencer. And Tom Reed is a South Beach fashion photographer and the founder of Miami Models. He has clients such as Polo Black Label, Tommy Hilfinger, and Ralph Lauren. And he's like the historic off-world UFO case of the Reed family. His whole family was involved and was assigned the Valley Classification of CE4, Close Encounter of the Fourth Kind, that we've heard about, and with a case category of three, physical evidence. And I want to read you a letter from the Miami Models cheerleaders. It goes along with his story because this is part of it. And we're going to have Alana, one of the uh, model, his models, come on later. And she's going to talk about her story in a car crash that Tom Reed was involved in. Also, she knew of uh, her his father's murder. Anyway, so there it goes is from the Miami cheerleaders. The Miami Dolphin cheerleaders recognize and accept the presentation by Miami models and Tom Reed for consideration to be part of the motion picture, excuse me, Miami Vice. And I think that is just uh, just one of the accolades. He's gotten many, many letters of uh, about this incident. And uh, actually, we're going to be talking about a little bit about the past and about his uh, sharing of uh, of the monument that was just all the current news. There's so much stuff to talk about tonight that we're going to try to get to it. But anyway, uh, let's. I don't see the Skype thing, so I'm going to actually try to call him in. And Tom, if you're listening, uh, I'm going to call, and it's going to be me. Anyway, so let me call Tom into the show. And let's see. I will keep this private. Nobody will know. Except for me. Mahaha. Anyway, excited about having him on the show tonight. You know, he's one amazing person.
Hey, Tom. It's yeah. Charlene. You're live, with, you're live with the paranormal and the sacred. Uh, and I just wanted to get you on the show. And uh, I didn't know if you were trying to Skype in or anything, but you're live right now. So what okay. is your preference for, for the phone or what, being on the show tonight? Oh, no, definitely Skype. This this phone will drop. I'm, I'm up in the, okay. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Alrighty, so, so yeah. uh, let me give you the directions. It's like you push the Skype to call button, and that's how it comes through. But What's you have that? to wait until after the show starts. To get on it in Skype, you have to push, uh, uh, go in to follow the uh, the link to your show, and then, uh, or go to www.blogtalkradio.com, and then go to push uh, the button that says Skype to call. Okay. Okay. So, so you guys can't call me or Skype me directly? Uh no, you gotta call in. I can't do it the other way around. It's not it's not set up for that. You'll see the Skype business bit uh button when you go to the front of the thing. Okay. Um right there with me going in now. Okay. okay. I mean we can try to do it on the phone, it's just that it's um I have a lot of dead spots here. Okay. But can can you hear me okay? I mean we can do the phone for now. I can anyway. hear you. Okay, you can, if I see your uh, Skyping, if you want to try it, then I can switch over to that, too. Okay, so, so what is the site again? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right now. What is it? What's the website? Okay, okay the website is www.blogtalkradio.com slash char-mccain. So you come to the front, and you come on tonight's show. You're going to see it right in front. And then you go Skype to call, and then I'll be able to see that. Okay. Okay, I'm for now. All right, featured episodes is what I'm looking at. Okay. And go to the one that's live on the air. Okay, I'm not seeing it. I'm just seeing a bunch of yep. different like bounds for different shows. Yeah, you have to actually click on the paranormal sacred so you can get to the first page. Or follow that link that I provided to you. All right, well let's just do the phone. I don't want to take any more time. Are you sure? I don't see it. That's okay. Yeah, because well, I don't see it. And I don't I don't know what well, link we're talking about. Well, I Facebooked you and I sent you the Oh, you phrased that today? Page. Oh, well, no, I've I've had it on there for I've had it on there for a few days. Oh, so it's okay, either okay. on your page or it's on my page. All you do is click on the link, and if you want to do it that way, because Tom, I can erase all of this, so I'm going to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> so listeners, you're here. Listeners, oh, okay. you're hearing it live, wanna... but I'm going to edit this whole thing out. So you better just listen to it now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> No, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I didn't want to screw up your show here. I'm just uh, you're not screwing my up my Skype, show. Uh, my 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 uh, Skype. We're lucky we even got on because sometimes the electronics on Blog Talk Radio or something about the power of the paranormal people just crashes the whole dang thing. So I've been very Does careful really? tonight. I've been careful not to do anything. I got my backup on my Android, so I've got two phones going: laptop and an Android. Wow, look at you. 
I know. Okay. I know. I got to be technically capable. Okay. Um. All right. Where are you, Sarah? Yeah. Follow the link. Then you're probably going to see. There. Yeah, I see you there. Okay, I'm working. There's a phone number. Um, where is the link? I don't. It's not. It's not in the messenger then, huh? Uh, it's on your. It's on your or my page. Either one. Just, just click on. If you go into, just click on it. It'll take you directly to the show. And then you look at the front page. Oh, there I am. There you are. There you are. Okay, so. So you wanna? Yeah, I'm clicking on that. I just wanna make sure it uh, it works here. Okay. I got the blog top where it's got the big arrow. You wanna hit the arrow? Uh, hit the arrow. Play the it link. Link. Well, go to oh, the link. Well, I got the link, page, but I mean. So go to the link and it'll take you straight to the show. Like, click on the link. Yeah, and and there. load it. And then I'll go, and I'll, you'll see a little tag at the top. You see you, and then the tag at the top. Well, I did. Think now I'm seeing Ron, Ron James. Who? Oh, that's just the wrong show. You know Ron James? <laughs> We're practically neighbors, man. He's just a few blocks away from here. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. I know it's so weird, you know. It's it, he's renting a studio space from my best friend. We've been friends for forty years, but from her nephew. Believe it or not, that's a bizarre coincidence. All right, it's I got on air. Call in to speak. Hit Skype, right? Yay! That's it. Yeah. Right, let's, make, let's make sure it goes because uh, I'm hoping it works. I'm looking at you. I'm You're waiting. I'll see something. Yeah, I'll see something. Let's see what's going on. Oh, I can hear you. It's delayed. Okay. <laughs> we good? We good. So let me uh, now. Let me see where I'm at. I'm here. Uh, yeah, there's good, like good, a two-second delay. Okay, that's good. Good to hear. Her. I didn't know there was a two-second oh. delay in case I had to jam somebody. Okay, so now I need to get you, now that you're Skyping, I need you to get you actually into the studio. How do I do that? So push the Skype to call, and then I'll pick up the line. Oh, I did. I hit Skype. For, well, I, okay, okay, let me see. Okay, Skype to call. Skype to call. What am I missing here? I don't know what I'm doing. What's 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 next here? I got I did that. Mm-hmm. It uh, looks it looks like we're good. I I don't know. Are you not seeing me? Am I, is there something wrong here? I didn't, yeah, there's nothing else in the studio yet. Yeah, I should see not, your Skype in the studio, but you're not quite in yet. I don't know what else to do. There's nothing else. Hmm. I don't know. I can hear you and everything. I'm hearing you on my Skype. I'm hearing you on my computer. Yeah. So uh, I wonder why it's not going into the studio. Did you push Skype to call? Yeah. Yeah, and I can hear. I'm hearing you. I'm on my computer. Yeah, I can hear that too. But I can hear the entire conversation, but you can't hear me. 
I can hear you, but on the phone, but not on the computer. So let's see. Uh, can you call in front on your Skype? Is that how you use your Skype? I can hear you through my computer on Skype, yes. It's delayed like by two seconds. Okay. So can you use the call-in number on your Skype to get through? Well, you want me to call, like, actually dial a number? Yeah, through Skype. Is it is that the way it looks like it's supposed to be done? I don't know. Usually everyone calls me. I know, yeah, I just I called you. You just saw me, right? Uh, I don't see you yet. Uh, I don't know. Where, I'm just waiting for you to get in the studio. I don't know either. Okay, on Skype, is there a capability to call a phone number? Is that how you usually contact people? You have to put that no, on phone I don't number. ever call anybody. I don't ever call anybody. They call me. When you, okay, when you Skype, if you want to use your Skype, if you want to be on this particular show for some reason, uh, Blog Talk wants you to Skype the call, so you're going to have to enter, enter the phone number of the show in your Skype. Okay. Where would I? Okay. Okay, so let me give you the number, okay? i got to find out where to put it. Um, call. Oh. Video call. Yeah. Make a call. Yeah. Call phone. Okay, what is it? 
First of all, for the people that don't know about this case, because I know a lot of people are coming into chat and uh, calling in right now and listening, uh, Tom Reed and his whole family have had an incredible experience where they were all, uh, everybody, even grandma, were uh, abducted. And they all have memories of being on a ship and things like that. And this is in Sheffield, Massachusetts. And since then, uh, let's, why don't you just give them a general uh, synopsis of what's been going on? Tom. Yeah, um, there were uh, three accounts in Massachusetts. And um, I guess when I say accounts, I mean that there were three uh, sightings or, or, or um, uh, very well-witnessed um, crafts and that sort of thing in the Great Barrington Sheffield area. And there was one in 66, which got a lot of um, talk by my mother uh, and our family um, at the local uh, restaurant we used to own, which was called the uh, the Village on the Green. And and it became like a hub for people to kind of talk about it. And and at the time, I think my mother thought there would be a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, support because it was a small town. And I think she was hoping that, um, you know, everyone would kind of understand and, and 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 comfort her, if anything, because it was a very difficult thing to kind of uh, talk about back in 1966. And then in 67, there was a another encounter that put a craft on our 80-acre horse farm. A lot of people, a few people saw it, not a lot of people. And that, again, became uh, quite a topic at our restaurant. And it got to the point in 66 and 67, around that time that my mother started to talk about it, and we used to eat there for breakfast. We used to go there, get our breakfast and, um, you know, eggs or whatever, and I would ride my bike across the street to school and that kind of thing. And it was the only restaurant in town that that uh, was anywhere near, um, you know, uh, any other buildings or anything. You know, it was the only little restaurant right smack in the heart of town. So it was the only place people could eat. And so it was a very popular spot for such a small town. And what happened with the 66 and 67 sightings is that, everyone kind of turned against our family. There were people mm. that would stand in front of the doorway, not let people in to eat. Um, back then it was a farming community. It still is actually. And picture this, you know, you're trying to serve orange juice to people and you've got like these local people coming in that smell like horse manure. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they would come sure. to the restaurant. And it was, yeah, and they would stand there in the restaurant because they were just being vindictive or nasty about, you know, the family's event or occurrence or what we saw. And it would clear the restaurant out. And then before you knew it, people would stand in front of the door and people wouldn't come in anymore. So it got to the point my mother actually had to get rid of the restaurant. And she loved it. I mean, it was everything to her. But in 1969, when we were leaving uh, Ski Butternut in Great Barrington, uh, I was riding the horse show. We uh, were coming back through town, and um, it was Labor Day weekend. And this was the event that actually became the very first UFO case officially conducted as history. Not the first one recognized because that would be Betty and Barney Hill and first Travis Walton's got a great case and, and some others, but I mean, it was the first case ever inducted by a state or a township or a historical society, formally and officially made part of U.S. history. To me, that's phenomenal, that attention. I never even, in my wildest dreams, thought that would happen. But to tell you what happened that night, we were coming back in a Bel Air station wagon after a horse show. My brother was with me, my grandmother... And uh, we were heading down Route 7 in Great Barrington, and my mother thought, well, you know, we need to go back to the uh, the restaurant lock-up because being Labor Day, we had the cook locking up the restaurant, and, and my mother wanted to go back and make the night deposit drop. 
So this is Labor Day, 1969. We stop at the Meadows for a quick bite, which was a, ta- a restaurant about two or three miles outside of town, and then headed into town to go to our restaurant to make the night drop. And so with that said, my grandmother, my brother, and I um, swung by there real quick, made sure the chairs are on the tables. My mother went in the safe, got the money, went to the bank, made the night drop, and we were leaving the little green in Sheffield and heading back towards Reed Barrington. And, uh, you know, we kind of passed our house on the way to the restaurant and were turning around to go back. And there was a shortcut over what's uh, now called the, um, well, it's the oldest bridge in Massachusetts, the Sheffield Covered Bridge. And we were just going over it and uh, coming out the other side, and we saw this, my grandmother saw it first, like this light coming up from, like, uh, there's a waterway there. And um, I was giving my brother a candy, which I've mentioned before. And my grandmother actually originally turned around because I was giving my brother some candy that she she thought he could choke. And when she did, she happened to notice this glow, like a self-contained glow um, near the bridge, coming up from kind of near underneath it almost. And we kept driving, obviously, just not too fast. It was a very narrow, very narrow dirt road. So you couldn't go more than 15 miles an hour anyway. And then you start to see these lights flickering through the to the trees, and it was it became brighter and brighter, and uh, we got to a clearing between this line of trees and the road, and and you know, suddenly you could see inside the car. I mean, it was that lit up. I could see behind my mother. I could see behind my grandmother. I could see the the I could make out the uh, the seats. You know, you could see everything in the car. And so I looked to my brother. I don't know why. Just maybe to say to him, you know, are you seeing this? Because at the time it just looked like a huge. I'm going to say it looked like a self-contained, uh, I hate to use the word light bulb, but you can mm-hmm. see it kind of around his light bulb. It was a self-contained light, and it didn't really look like it was throwing off a lot of light, yet everything you could see around, it was kind of weird in that in that aspect. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like you were looking into a flashlight, you know what I mean? But it was putting off enough light that you could see around, you know, the car, inside the car. And I looked oh, when I looked over to him, I could see past him through the window. It would almost look like an amber or orangey glow coming from some swampy water or, that was uh, maybe 50 yards away from the car. And so I was kind of like looking back and forth, wondering why. And I remember this, looking at this goldish amber glow, wondering what is that. And now I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe it was a reflection from the water of something from higher up above the tree. I really don't understand what I was looking at. I don't know what it was. And I and we were kind of like in almost this, um, I don't know, um, it was, it, it became so quiet. You know what I mean? It became so still. The car came to a stop. You could hear the stones underneath it. It was like being in the middle of a hurricane. It was just like this barometric change in pressure. And you couldn't see really anything other than this glow, hear anything, it, there was a, you wouldn't you couldn't hear any bugs and it was just dead silent. And all of a sudden there was this eruption of like everything erupted: the crickets, the katydids, frogs. Everything was huge. It was like wham. It was loud. And then all of a sudden, bang! You know we don't remember anything other than that in the car. You know we all remember different parts of this next couple of hours very differently from each other, but we all have memory of something of a hallway and this weird a holding area. I remember being in what looked like uh, almost like a, an airplane hangar, for lack of a better word, and there were lights in the top corners of this area that looked like fluorescent tubes, almost like a fluorescent 
uh, light, you know, like you might have in a in an office building, you know, like one particular tube, like a particular tube of light in a space, and a tube of light in a space, and a tube of, and maybe a dozen of them or so, you know, of maybe three foot tubes, and it was in a corner of this room that I was in. It was all open. I could see just vaguely in there. There were carts to my right. There were like stainless steel carts on wheels. Um, there was like a gurney, uh, which has me very, uh, you know, perplexed as to where I was. You know, that's the other thing. I don't know where I was. I, And it looked very industrial by design to me. And I, there was a, a an individual that came into a room. Now, I was nine years old, you know, and I remember this very clearly. And this person, I say person, it looked very human to me, but small, um, but then again, I was a kid too, so I have no idea. Um, but came in maybe five or six feet into this room that I was in, and I'm going to say that the, ro- the the distance between where I was in this doorway that I had to walk to to get to this person was probably like walking across the football field. I mean, it was that far away. This area that I was in was larger than a football field, and I, for some reason, I don't know why, walked to this person, individual. I was grabbed by my left arm right around, you know, the upper part of my elbow, and I was not walked nicely. I was very abrupt. I was almost pushed in front of this person. I went through a doorway. They took, there was a left or right when I came out of this doorway, or out of this um, hangar area, I say, Uh, and I went to the right, and it was a quick right. These were very left and quick lefts, quick rights down this hallway to where it teed off again. These are very tall walls, much taller than the walls of my house. And it came to a, I went to a left and right into a room. And the room that I was brought into had a wall that bowed inward. And I've said this a million times, like a coffee can. Like if you were Mm. to, like bowed inward. And on each end, on each end of where this bowed inward, there was a pocket. And I say a pocket on the right side, there was a, a doorway to go out somewhere on the left. I don't know. I didn't go there. But that's what this room looked like, like a square with a bowed inward wall. Uh, There was a lot of um, equipment mounted to the ceiling. There were tables. There were stools. It was very, uh, it looked very medical, you know, almost like a a hospital environment. Um, I was, uh, I sat on this, uh, was told to sit or whatever on this stool, um, like a, like a long, thin um, sitting area, and I was I was young, and I could just sit on it, so I didn't have to slide up on it. It's very low to the ground, and um, and at one point I, I I I got up and I just ran, and I had run out the far right side of this bowed-in area, and when I came out this doorway, and this is what blows my mind, when I came out this doorway into this area, and this tell you how big this area was that I was in, this was a, you know how I told you the, the wall bowed inward, this was a huge circled area that had to be bigger than a, than a, you know, the Miami Heat Arena. I mean, it was so big wow. that when I ran into this thing, I mean, it was, it was almost as, as round and as big as your typical Walmart. With picture Emptying out of Walmart and making it a circle. Amazing. It was that. It was that big. And off to the right, there was a. Now picture this: like you've got a circle, and then you take a Y and put a Y right over it, so that you've got two hallways off to one side, and at the bottom you've got a wire hallway. 
the two hallways off to my right, when I came out, this hallway to my right couldn't have been 10 feet from me or branched out of this. That's where I was in, in, in retrospect to this circled area. There was a hallway right to my right. Then there was one diagonally across from me. But again, we're saying maybe 50 feet away, 60 feet away from me easily. That was the same size. They were smaller, thinner hallways, but they went off like a Y would. And then on the left, there was a huge, maybe you could fit six cars side by side by side. That's how wide this hallway was on the left. So to me, now I reflect back and I say to myself, if you were looking to control the flow of a lot of traffic, a lot of, and you were, they were coming in from, say, the left, the wide area, some were going to the right, some were going to the left, they would need that big circle area to keep the flow going, and then they could be divided into whatever hallway they were going down. But to me, that reflects a lot of traffic, controlling the flow of traffic so people could, that's what it looked like to me. But I was grabbed, and I was brought back into this room, as crazy as that sounds, and I was thrown on this, uh, and I wasn't, it was not nice. I was, I was very, I was handled very abruptly. I could mm-hmm. hear voices. I could hear my mother's voice. I think it was my mother. I could hear other people. Um, I was not alone. Um, there were uh, this thing that was in the ceiling that looked like almost like a cage. It was a two-part cage-like apparatus. It was a, uh, it came over and it covered me. And and one piece came out and another piece came over it. And um, Alien Mysteries actually didn't do a half bad job on it. I mean, it was a little silly, but mm-hmm. but. It, I thought maybe it was to keep me in place. This thing was to keep me in place, but yet it wasn't tight over me. It almost looked like a medical procedure, like some type of machine. Um, it looked like a very barbaric MRI machine, actually. Yeah. If you were to, you know, you were to reflect on what could possibly be, it almost looked like the top of an MRI machine that came over something to scan something. But it wasn't, again, it wasn't tight on me. I could see everything underneath me, see my feet, you know, the whole bit. And I remember some bangs to my head. I remember a lot of commotion. I remember um, something. Like I told uh, Alien Mysteries when they interviewed me for this. I I mentioned that there were like something like packets, some almost like huge raisins, you know, almost like um, like black bags. And of course, Alien Mysteries put rocks on me in a TV show. It was so stupid. But <laughs> there was something in these bat black packets. I remember those because I remember referencing them as raisins. I've always said they look like big raisins, you know. Um, not a, no idea what it was. Um, the uh, I, I, I my brother in Alien Mystery that showed him next to me under some some apparatus like this too, but he wasn't. My brother wasn't even in the same room with me. Um, but um, I don't know. After that, I remember being back in this um, in in like this all same type of a. Um, almost like a like the airplane hangar, I say, but it, I don't like to say airplane hangar because I, it reflects, you know, something like at an airport or something that's Air Force related. But it's the only thing I can really um, use as a reference because of how tall the ceilings were, how big and empty it was, how spacious it was. I mean, it was gave that feel. And 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 when I was back in this area, I was on like a on like a gurney. I was on a silver cart, and and. And what's also interesting about this, too, is that my when we all came to, we came to at different times. You know, it wasn't like we came to 
all at the same time, or we all kind of all of a sudden, bang, we're all very alert and awake and in the same spot. We really do feel like we were drugged. Now, when you when you go back to when we woke up in the car, and I say woke up because we did kind of woke up or had woken up differently. My grandmother was now in the driver's seat of the car. My mother had been driving. So that, tell me, says human error. You know, so now my mother was yeah. in the passenger seat. My grandmother was driving. My brother was out, and his head was on my leg. He was, you know, and when we, when the car stopped, and we were looking at this thing and originally, this amber glow and everything, my brother was sitting up. So now his head is on my leg. So he's out. My grandmother took the car, drove back down the rest of this dirt road, and was going to go home. I guess she was going to go home. She was kind of shooken up. She was kind of not sure what's going on. You know, she was still in a fog decided to turn around and go back into town. So she turned the station wagon around, went back over the Sheffield Bridge, got onto Route 7, went right back to where our restaurant was, and there was a store called the um, uh, Silks, Silks, Silks Store, which is still there today also. And she went in and talked to uh, the clerk or the guy who owned it, and he saw that she was in rough shape. Um, for whatever reason, my grandmother got, like, wrapped up, and and she was like, so out of it, to give you an idea, she she was behind these bikes and behind these carriages and strollers because they used to sell everything. And somehow she got kind of uh, um, behind these bikes and stuff. And she, for whatever reason, didn't seem to be able to find her way out. You know, I came in after her and I was, you know, nana, nana, you know, trying to get her hand and everything And because I was the second one to come too. You know, I saw her go into the store actually and no one else in the car was awake. I say awake, for lack of a better word, and ran into the store and started grabbing, trying to grab her hand. And, you know, she was the only one, you know, the only comfort I had. She was, you know, the only older, you know, or parent or relative that was conscious. And so I was kind of shooken up myself, but she was so out of it that she actually started to come out of the store and she broke down started crying right there in the Sheffield Green. She was, like, shaking, you know, trying to catch her breath, you know, that... <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, like, oh, yeah. nerve. And I remember that, and she started to break down and cry. Um, it was terrible. I mean, it, and, and how, how long, long do you think you were gone? How long do you think that you were gone? Well, we were, um, when we were leaving the horse show, it was still light out. And we left early because my saddle came loose, and I was upset. <laughs> so they had, you yeah. know, riding someone else's, I was riding someone else's horse, so. We left around 5 or 6. By the time we ate and got back to the restaurant to put the chairs up and do the night deposit drop, it had just started to get dark, like around 7.30. So it was about 10 of 8, we figured, right around, just before 8 o'clock when we went over that bridge. And we went back to Silks. It was 11. It was close to 11. He was locking up. So we made it just before 11. So it was almost three hours. And And so when my grandmother now you know, in front wow. of the car, all shit, shooken up. My mother got in the driver's seat. My grandmother now got in the, pa- you know, in the seat that she was, the passenger seat. I got oh, back I... into the car. My brother was now awake. So my brother, we all came out of whatever this was, I would say, within 20 minutes of each other. You know, that's how my brother was the last one to come to. My grandmother was the first. I was the second. My mother, then my brother. And so we started to drive home. and And we never really talked much. We don't remember saying too much on the ride home, but it shook us up so much, I think, that 
we, you know, my mother again starts to talk about it at the restaurant. Now, this is what's strange about this, too. Before, everybody was kind of throwing mud at my mother, you know. And I, I picture this now, too. I, mean, I don't talk too much about the personal stuff about our family, but my mother was only 29 years old, you know. I, I was nine. My mother, yeah. My mother, I was not. My mother was 29. She owned, back then, she had a, like a 3,000-square-foot home, 80 acres of property. We had a nice convertible Mustang. We had a station wagon. She owned a restaurant in town and 13 racehorses. My mother was very well off. And, of course, my father ran for, for office and was in office, but my mother was very wealthy, and a lot of the locals, you know, he knew, you know, you know what I mean? But when we yeah. That's back in, in the 60s, people actually turned on her. And my mother was, a, um, you know, an attractive woman. She was a Powers model, you know, at one point in L.A. Mm-hmm. So when she was like 20, 19, 20 years old. So she, you know, she was a good-looking woman, wealthy, and yet people, because of this topic, treated her like crap. People didn't come in, you know, we used to have those 25-cent shakes. You know, the parents wouldn't let their kids come back in for shakes. You know, it was just business was tanking, you know. But at, at 1969 now, this event, we didn't know it. But all these people in town were calling the radio stations, were calling the police department. This is why I got inducted in, in history, because of what happened between 66 and 69 affected the community so much that they proved, oh, without a shadow of a doubt, that it altered the natural progression of the town. And the way it was worded to me by by the historical society was that if you got Billy the Kid robs a train and he's stealing some money or whatever, um, it doesn't really mean history to anybody. It doesn't have to go down in history. He's just a punk with a gun. But because it, it affected the Pinkerton, the railroad, the natural progression of the railroad, that's why it went down in history. And that's how this case ended up getting inducted because from 66 to 67, when everyone was so nasty about it and it affected businesses and the, divide, the town got divided, that whole, you know, three years there was so well documented with the calls coming into WSBS, you know, the archives, the, the radio station is still there today. Our restaurant is still there today under the same name. You know, so well, many people remember it. There are people from Jug-In Resort that called it into the police department, that called it into WSBS radio. It was given a Heineck classification in, on Labor Day. Well, it happened on Labor Day. I don't know if it was given a Heineck classification on Labor Day, but it was given a Heineck classification in September, three months before Project Blue Book came to an end. You know? So that yeah. part of it was very well documented. Now, the positive spin to all this was that in 1969 when this happened, people started coming back into the restaurant. I'm sorry, Nancy. We should have believed you. You know, and that yeah, kind of let me read, let me read something, Tom. Is that yeah. uh, you know you appeared on the Fox Morning Show, the Travel Channel's Paranormal Paparazzi, and the Canadian Morning AM, among others, due to the extraordinary circumstances involving your family, and your events have now gained international recognition involving the family's UFO case, and then. The, you had a 2009 encounter which produced radiation and other magnetic anomalies per the official reports from law enforcement. And law enforcement requested that you take a polygraph test in August 
4, 2010, at the Advanced Polygraph Institute, Knoxville, Tennessee, which you passed with 99.1% no deception indicated. You are telling the truth. This is a phenomenal story to, to hear it from, from straight from a person that it happened to. I just want yeah, to let well, you know that. Yeah, there's so much to this. And, 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 and I think tonight, for tonight, you know, I really wanted to um, focus on how and why this became inducted. You know, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, that still to this day don't really know the particulars because it's so confusing, you know. I try to keep it simple now because it's, you know, we used to talk about, you know, what we saw in 66 and what we saw in 67 and everything. But the point really is in 66 and 67 and what made this so um, pertinent is that no one believed us in those days, you know. And and I'll tell you one more thing. This town was so small, you know, that until 1969 when so many people saw it, the earlier accounts, you know, people just didn't buy it, you know. But when when I was in fourth grade, okay, Sheffield Center School, I drew what I what I saw. I drew these sketches, and and they they've been hanging in Roswell forever. Um, but all these children that I went to school with saw a lot of them saw it, and they were drawing what they saw that hung them below the chalkboard, and that was still very well on people's minds. They, oh yeah, my I remember my grandson drew something, or my so and so had sketched what they saw. And all this has been filtered to the historical society. So when you've got children that drew these sketches, and some are in museums now, and and you know, and the parents remember it, and and there was a Gina Paul, Gina Paul and her family. I used to walk to the school bus with Gina and Marissa Paul, and yeah, I used to ride with them. You know, they're my age, and they gave testimony to the historical society. They were actually at a Labor Day party, and that's how they remembered it was Labor Day, and they saw it. You know, people from four towns, um, Stockbridge, where, you know, Story Musgrave is from, which Story, Story Musgrave and I only grew up 10 miles from each other. Um, Arlo Guthrie was from there, uh, Northern Rockwell. But you got Stockbridge, you had South Egremont, which is where the um, Heineck classification was issued or, or from the witnesses who saw it over a property, which is only three miles from us, um, Sheffield and Great Barrington. So you had people from four neighboring towns that had called the radio station, called the police department. Some of their kids draw these sketches in, in school. Um, you know, they're police reports. You know, and Sheffield, oddly enough, didn't have a police department. They had a town constable. But being a cop in Sheffield was a part-time job. That's the smallest town was. Yeah, not know, much happens except talking, for this big thing. Yeah, I know. But here's the other thing I want to tell you. So high school started and at when at fifth grade. There was no middle school. So when I went to fourth grade and drew those these sketches and everything and what I saw along with everyone else in fourth grade, the following year I had to start high school when I was should have been in you know, in middle school, fifth grade. You know how hard that was, you know, for, for me and other people in town that were talking about this to go to a high school with eight, you know, kids eighteen years old and you're ten or you know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't easy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it, made, it made for some long afternoons, you know? And, yeah. And so, and so um, my brother, he, he took out his frustrations on the drums, and I started playing guitar a little bit. You know, it was my thing. But um, so anyway, um, that's kind of the earlier 
what happened in town. Now, later on, like you said, um, yeah, of course, I took a polygraph test. Um, I was taken down to uh, the um, dance polygraph, which is part of the, um, uh, I can't remember the name of it. But, um, yeah, I passed with a 99.1%. They went all the way back to 1966. I was taken down there by a police officer, actually, um, Detective White. Um, and and uh, so the history uh, that is tied to this or connected to this also added to how it got inducted. Now, if you look at um, what happened when the 80s, when my father actually, you know, he went, he passed his, uh, he went to law school in Springfield, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and um, ended up uh, running for mayor, and he was backed by Senator Dodd. I'd actually had coffee at Governor Weicker's, in, in Governor Weicker's mansion, in the, in the governor's mansion in the kitchen. Uh, well, my father got to sit in the comfort of the living room. I had to stay in the kitchen, but but it was kind of neat, you know, to be able to do that. And so he was backed by, by um, you know, Senator Chris Dodd, who used to he actually came to a couple barbecues at my father's house. And um, and so he got in office, and when he was in office, he ran into completely by accident uh, Robert Bletchman, who um, at the time, unknown to us, was the was the uh, public relations director for MUFON back in like 1987 and uh, was organizing the symposium at the UN, which I talked about before. Um, mm-hmm. I actually legally retained him. You know, we, Bletchman wasn't just a family friend that I used to meet with and sit there and talk to him about the Hudson River Valley case and everything, but he took a lot of interest in what happened in Massachusetts in town because at the time people were still talking about it. Even they are now too, but back in the 80s, it really was only 15 or 20 years after it happened. So there was a lot of people that were still, it was very upfront with them. And he looked into some of the, the higher classifications and radio station stuff, you know, and, and found it very interesting because of the, you know, when you couple that with my father's political aspirations and being in office and being an attorney and my mother at the time, you know, had a radio show. She was the morning, she had the WKZ radio show. So, it was, you know, it got a little airtime on the radio when my father's, you know, credentials kind of, you know, added to the credibility that Fletchman wanted when he addressed the United Nations uh, Symposium on Extraterrestrial Intelligence and who he put together this meeting with Rob Mohammed Ramadan, who was the president of the Parapsychology Society at the United Nations. So it, it actually uh, helped Robert in, in his... Uh, in his, in his talks and, and what he wanted to discuss. And, and our case wasn't like a front runner. Really, it didn't go before the General Assembly or anything. It was, I think it was discussed in a library, actually, at the United Nations. But it still got mentioned, you know? Yeah. And, and then, of course, you know, what really got my brother and I um, behind this and said, you know, uh, we need to see this through now because my father did get killed on the same day that our case was mentioned by our legally retained attorney, Robert Bletchman, um, on that um, on October 2nd, you know, um, the day that he mentioned it at the United Nations. That was 14 years later, but it was still very peculiar. And when he passed, um, we had doctors look into it. There was an autopsy. The CDC came down and actually condemned and shut down the building that he was working in. And it's still to this day. It's still closed. 
it is still cold. I find that so eerie because I picture them taping up the room after he was was. I feel that he was murdered, and I'm sure that you do too. Uh, and uh, the, I just imagine them taping off the room, then t- then shutting down the whole damn thing, and it's still shut down. It's so so bizarre that it's still there right. as a testimony to what happened. It's weird. And all this again plays part in the paper trail that got our case inducted in Massachusetts. Now, here's the other thing, too. Um, The CDC got called in by the mayor of Bridgeport. And when the, the, obviously the CDC itself didn't go in. They hire third-party companies to do, you know, to clean the room or look at it. There were new, there were fresh ceiling tiles in his office that he had not, you know, had before, which which made the mayor of Bridgeport kind of, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Hello. Yeah, I was all. Yeah, I can hear you. You sound good. You. Okay. What well, <laughs> So, uh, um, the they there was first the only house in the office. Someone had said that they had seen lights on in the building. So the mayor of Bridgeport actually uh, had someone from the town go over and look in the building. And sure enough, there were brand new ceiling tiles in his office. So, being that my father, um, the, he passed in the way that he did, and I'll, I'll tell you what happened. Um, that triggered him as a, something's wrong. The building should be shut down. There's people in it, and these ceiling tiles are replaced, you know, in his office. Why? And so they, he called in the CDC. They called in a third-party company that was local to uh, the New Haven area, New Haven, Connecticut, which is where my father passed in, in, um, in uh, you know, New Haven. Uh, but anyway, um, Yale New Haven Hospital, actually. And so they, they thought it was kind of, odd, too, that someone else had gotten sick, you know, like felt bad, you know, like was coming down with something, like violently sick. And so they pulled out the air conditioning unit. Now, my my father had um, this huge commercial unit that was connected to his office and others, and it filtered into his office. And they did find broken glass, which, of course, everyone said, oh, was it a vial? Well, it could have been. I don't know what it was, but they found broken glass in the unit, and they then they tested the unit, and sure enough, that they they found that there was some a deadly um, fungus of some sort in that unit. Now, my brother Matthew had talked to the press, and the press, of course, had talked to the people that were doing the investigation on behalf of the CDC, and they wouldn't tell them exactly what it was, but they did say that what they found um, was like luminous sticks. If you look under a microscope, it looked like luminous sticks. Now, what happened to my father when he went into the office? He had already broadcast. And I say broadcast because he got on. A, he got the. He had the support of the press a lot. You know, he had mentioned yeah. that he was going to write a book about all the papers and about the Pentagon and the information that he had gotten. Um, you know, from Bletchman and other people and friends that were filtered to him after the United Nations address in 1992, which is that October second day. And I still have a lot of them. I don't know if there are anything. I don't know if they're really important. I don't. I, all I can tell you is that there's statements there from the federal government. There's stuff there from the Pentagon, uh, the Greece Ministry of Defense. Um, you know, you you name it. Generals all talking about F-4 fighter jets being paralyzed to fire to oncoming, you know, disc-shaped crafts. I mean, this is stuff that that he had in his attaché case in a closet when I went through it after his passing. And so he said a lot, you know, whether or not today 
it's it's really that pertinent. I don't know, but I can tell you that maybe ten years ago that stuff didn't want to be shouldn't have been floating around. So he hadn't yeah. an interview. Yeah, I think yeah, it's very it. important. It's very important yeah. because we're talking United Nations, a symposium of what, ninety two? And that you're this yeah. is all yeah, and this is uh this is all mentioned and it's very pertinent to all of us and uh, people like me and those interested in the whole thing, you know, we hang on to your every word, really. Cause it's all really fresh and new to us every time we hear it. I have a lot of feedback I'm getting uh, from people messaging me, telling me uh, they're they're uh, they love it that you're on tonight. That's what I want to know. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, this is why I want to get into a little. I want to I want to get into a little different part of this. Normally, I get in. Yeah. In, you know, I want, really want to get into. To, you know, to who we are and how this happened, because for it to be inducted as the first case in the United States, that that says a lot. And and if it wasn't for the paperwork that we had, and it wasn't for the documentation and the polygraph test and everything, you know, if you fail a polygraph test, no one, you know, okay, it's done. He failed his polygraph test. But you passed one, people are still like, oh, well, you can always pass it. No, you can't. It's, you know what? I Passing a polygraph test is not friggin' easy. I mean, I was uh, I was being tested for three frigging hours, three wow. hours. I was saying at a ninety-nine point one percent, a ninety-five is high, ninety-one, ninety-nine point one. But anyway, back to back to this. So what happened? My father talked about I'm getting ready to retire. I'd like to do this book. I've had these documents for a long time. I, and he always said to me, "Well, when the time is right, you know, we'll do the book." You know, and so I. You know, I I kind of pushed him a little bit, and Alana Tremblay. I don't know if she's on or not, but um, is she on? Is Alana on? Yeah, Alana's going to come on uh, pretty soon. Actually, I'm going to. Okay. Uh, I gave well, her the number already. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So, so my father had a um, a nice size boat. He had a 38 foot hunter sloop in Hutchinson Island in Florida, and it was only about maybe an hour from our from my house. Um, not far from Alana's, where Alana lived, the polo model. And and so it was around Christmas, and they were going to come down for the holidays. And this is all about how much the death of my father and, and myself. So what happened to me? So I he was coming down, and I wanted to get him a mouth block pen. <laughs> you know, I'm getting into the detail here, but I was going out to get him a mouth block pen. So I, was, I figured, you know, when I go to work tomorrow – I'm going to stop by Levenger or whatever, you know. And so I was going, I was driving through Delray. I'm just about to Boca Raton, and I was on 95. And I came off the exit, and I was stopped dead at a traffic. You know, when you come off the exits in Florida, we've all been to Florida, you know, you go left or right at the end of the exit. And I was stopped, and I was looking to the left, looking to the right, and this tractor-trailer truck comes barreling off I-95 and smashes into my car while I'm parked at the stop sign. Oh, I was left for dead. I was left for dead. I don't know if you know that or not. So no. and a lot of, and a lot knows this. Um, yeah, time, I'm gonna get her on in a minute. I can see her in queue. Alana, if you hear us, okay. I can see you in queue. I'll get her on okay. in a minute. Well, give me all right. Give me two seconds on this one, and then we'll get her on. Um, so my father, my father actually came down to Florida, and my father, while I was you know unable to move. Um, and broken back, fingers, arms, broken ankles. I mean, I was literally, they sewed my eye back in. You know, it was a mess. I was literally left for dead. So 
so to have some bedtime chatter, if you will, I'm laying there. My father says to me, well, maybe it's time we wrote this book. You know, I can't, you know, in other words, it was he wanted me to start working on the book because it gave me something to do and he was going to work with me thinking that, God, I almost lost my son, right? So my father, yeah. after we talk about it, I'm starting to make notes about it. It gives me something to do because I, I literally could not, for me to go to the bathroom, for me to get up off my bed and walk five feet to the bathroom, I had to use a chair and a mop because I couldn't balance on crutches because both my ankles were busted. I mean, that's oh, how God. bad it was. So I was in this, I was taking notes. I'm like, okay, we'll do the book. So I'm talking to my father up in Connecticut. Hey, where are you, Tom? How you doing? You know, that kind of thing. So my father starts talking to his friends. You know, my son almost got killed. We're going to write this book finally. It gives him something to do. Next thing you know, my father gets killed. So he goes into work. His head hits the desk. They rush him to Yale New Haven Hospital. His temperature is skyrocketing. So the doctors give him antibiotics. Boom, both, both injections in both legs. Bang, bang, right? And his temperature gets higher. They give him more antibiotics. They go, oh, my God, you know, what's, you know, what kind of infection does this guy have? They give him more antibiotics and flatline them. So what happened, my father didn't have an infection. What happened and what he caught from whatever was in this unit, air conditioning unit from the CDC that shut down the building, right, was a fungus that gave him a extremely high temperature. So it looked as if it was a bacteria. So when the hospital gave him the antibiotics, it killed the white blood cells, it killed the good bacteria, he could no longer fight off the, the fungus, and he went into cardiac shock and died. That was verified by Dr. Reddy of Atlanta because we brought my, – my parents also had a house in Tennessee, so they had doctors here too. What's really freaking bizarre is that the doctor, Michael Buckner, the doctor who looked – the other doctor, not not Reddy, the one before Dr. Reddy, looked at the uh, medical records, evaluated my son, looked at my brother, looked at me, you know, a family doctor guy, right? He was going to go to a conference and speak on behalf of what he found along with the, uh, Detective Steve White in, in the Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He never made it. He, he sent, he gave us a report on September 15th of 2010, he got strangled, asphyxiated on November 12th, 2010. Eight weeks after he released documentation, he was found dead. So you've got, I almost got killed. Lechman died, by the way, after my father. I didn't mention that. Um, then, of course, um, Michael Buckner. And I almost got killed. I should have been killed. So Why? So now the building is still condemned in Connecticut. So all this stuff, you add all this, the United Nations address, Fletchman mentioning it, the witnesses, the, the, there was you know, the trace evidence thing that you saw, there were, there were witnesses to it, a high-net classification. So I get contacted by the historical society and uh, because my father, when he was in office, was only about 10 miles from the Great Barrington Historical Society. Everybody knew the reputation of my father. And because he was, I'm not going to say that he was into the subject or liked UFOs or, or felt that it was a, an interesting topic, 
he knew that it was that it happened. He used to go to the restaurant. He used to go to my mother's aid when she was being picked on by these idiots up in Sheffield who thought it was funny to to uh, insult her and walk in the restaurant with horse manure on their shoes and clear the place out, you know, because he was a New Yorker. So he'd go in there and go, oh, let's go, out, 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 you know. So he kind of came to my mother's aid. It was around us. He was my stepfather. He wasn't my birth father. And now yeah. when I almost die, he decides it's time to do this and talk about it. And the next thing I know, he's killed. And not the only one. And to be killed on the same damn day? Come on. Yeah. And four and four other people. I don't want people to go, oh, you know, this is, you know, it's so conspiracy driven. All I can tell you is on top of all that, my lawyer, my lawyer was run off the road into oncoming traffic and she went public with it on a on a documentary what that um Lori Wagner was doing. Oh, you yes. sure you know Lori Wagner. Yeah, I know Lori, and, of course. Yeah, she interviewed my lawyer. She was actually run off the road into oncoming traffic after leaving the DA's office trying to get a memorandum of law ruled on our documentation for the historical society because the historical society likes source documents. They like legal documents. You know, to get yeah. to go down in history it has to be an official document. They're not gonna go by hearsay. So she was bringing all the all the information that I had about my father's death and everything and, and the and what he was gonna talk about from the UN and you know, polygraph, everything, showing that they were that they were official documents. She was run off the road, almost got, <laughs> her husband actually owned the law firm and pulled her off of it. Poor Lori. This is getting ridiculous. And and if you you know Lori Wagner, ask her about it. She actually sat down with Debbie Kessler and interviewed her yeah. for about an hour. I mean, that's how odd this stuff is. I had an FBI agent in my house. I had a guy knock on my door. I thought I was upstairs with my son. I'm sorry, my son was in the basement. He was in the hot tub. But I was inside the house with my son, only two here. I get knocked on the door, and I got glass around my door. So I'm looking through the glass to the front of my house, and I'm thinking, okay, it's a good, you know, some Jehovah Witness or somebody trying to sell me subscriptions or something or whatever because it just looked like an average everyday guy, you know. I open up the yeah. door. I see these gray khaki pants, you know, like these Kmart manager pants, and this blue tie and jacket, like, what, you know. Guy shows a badge in my face. He was from Key Point Government Solutions from Colorado. Why do I have an agent from Key Point Government Solutions from Colorado at my house in Tennessee? And this is right after my lawyer got run off the road. Anyway, sits me down on my steps. I still got his card in my wallet. Asked me, my mom still, my mom lived here, that she lived there, the whole bit. Anyway, as it turns out, he flips over the card and has me swear to the Privacy Act of 1974. That's how messed up <laughs> this is. <laughs> you know? That's how oh, crazy. I, I, I got to get... I, <laughs> uh, I wanted to... <laughs> and, and what's crazy uh, this is kind of scary lot. because they're very well aware of where you live, what's on your home, and everything else. It's, it's very uh, unnerving, really. And a lot of trouble. scary. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really uh, a strange thing. Now, do you want, uh, uh, let's see, at this point, I wanted to get her on because I wanted to, Alana to talk about the the um, accident. So let's, let's see here. Yeah, Alana, Alana Tremblay, um, 
for those who don't know, Alana Tremblay, um, and I, and I, I guess we'll get her on and we'll talk. I don't want to. I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep going. Well, no, I want you to. Uh, why don't you introduce her because you know her. Um, she's a, a beautiful model. Has been modeling since she was four years old, and um, you have actually signed her on. And why don't you tell us a little bit about her, her background, and then we'll introduce her. Well, okay. Well, again, um, and this probably doesn't get enough attention, but our another thing reason that our family's case was inducted was because of um, you know who we are, you know what what we did for a living. My my brother, um, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, my my brother actually was a worked for Skip Barber Racing School, and my dad was an attorney and, and a politician, and, and my mother had a good career. And I actually founded a company um, back in the mid 1990s called Miami Models. It became the largest uh, model management company in the state of Florida. It's very well. It's you know, a service and registered trademark. It's, it's a huge modeling agency. There is a difference between a modeling agency and a model management company. A lot of people don't know the difference. Miami Models was a management company, not an agency. And and what that meant was it we we supplied models and talent to about three dozen agencies. You cannot sign a model or an actor to an agency exclusively unless you can promise them work. And a lot of them can't. So you get a manager who markets you, just like anything else. So Miami Models signed Alana Tremblay, which is my company, when she was four years old. We had 450 children, two, over 250 adults, and we had 185 bookings in our first four months. And Alana was one of them. Alana took off. She landed the cover of Child Magazine. She um, uh, later on um, became the, you know, did some modeling for uh, this, um, Disney in Orlando. Um, she um, went on to be the model for Birdines. Uh, Macy's. Um, she did some runway for U.S. Polo, and um, and then um, she landed Polo Ralph Lauren, and not just Polo, but Polo Ralph Lauren Black Label, which is her exclusive line. So she did very well for herself, and because she was uh, <laughs> uh, doing so well, that you know we became friends, and she would come over to my house along with her mother. I became very good friends with her mother, um, Jackie. And um, so now she's actually going to launch my guitar line, which is down the road. But but um, we've stayed good friends, and we've been out of touch for a couple of years. But um, she uh, did very, very well. And um, he was one of those that I was still representing when I almost got killed, when my father died. And um, so she knows my company. She knows my family very well. And, and she agreed to come on tonight, which I thought was really kind of cool. So. It is cool. And at this point, I'm going to welcome her onto the show. Welcome, Alana. You're live with the Paranormal and the Sacred. Hi. Alana, thank you so much. she's there. You've been waiting. Um, Alana, you know, you, you're you're coming into the story at this point because uh, Tom had a severe car crash. You, you, you knew him at this time. But you have actually signed on with the Miami Models at the age of four. And uh, since then, it's been Ralph Lauren Black Label, Ralph Lauren Poor Polo, Berdines, Macy's, CSI, Miami, Yisra Cher. Uh, you signed on with Famous Faces and also a spokesmodel for the, the, the Kned guitar line. And you're actually going to launch, I've seen uh, some prototypes of Tom's uh, guitars, which look awesome. So welcome to the show, Alana. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
really. And uh, I, I think I've seen a couple pictures of you. You're just a beautiful child, and you're a beautiful young woman. And uh, I just, uh, I'm really happy to have you on tonight. And so you <laughs> have heard a lot about you, you have heard a lot about this story. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how this affected you and what what you know about this this end of the story? Well, basically, it's affected me so much because I've known Tom, you know, since I was four. And, you know, hearing about this tragedy and just the, the, the thing is, it's, it's not a story, you know. It's actual facts that's happened. And the fact that something like this has happened to someone that I'm very close with, it's it, it kind of, you know, it's, it's traumatizing for me. And it's kind of heartfelting. And, you know, it's just it's really tragic. And not only what has happened to him, but, like, you know, his car accident and, you know, his dad's passing. It's just it's rough. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the story means something. You know, the facts mean something. And I think it's just a good thing that people are hearing it. And, you know, the more, you know, things happen. And you don't, we don't know what's out there. And for me, I'm not a closed-minded person. I'm very open-minded. So I take this as something that I didn't know. And now I'm, like, more into, you know, the extraterrestrial. I'm, I like it now. You know, I, I want to learn more about it. I want to know what's out there. So for Tom to come out here and, you know, explain everything and not even care what people think, because, you know, people are probably thinking, oh, it's, you know, it's a bunch of BS, but it's really not. Something that's happened to him, and not only him, it's his whole family. So I think it's pretty incredible that I get to say, oh, I know Tom Reed, you know, like he's just, it's wonderful. I think it's great. And I couldn't thank him enough for even having me on here and, you know, helping me and supporting me through everything. And, you know, the fact that I'm doing this guitar line is awesome. You know, I can't wait for it to start launching and stuff. It's great. But yeah. That's interesting. So have you had any personal, where did you grow up in? And uh, how did this evolve to uh, uh, you being interested in the topic yourself? Did you have um, well, any I experiences? Grew up in West, um, I grew up in West Palm Beach. I never, I wouldn't say I've had like that type of experience, but ever since I was little, I've always was like interested in different things and like the paranormal. I was very, very like intrigued by it. And, you know, I, I think it's awesome. I mean, it's never happened to me. But it's happened to not only Tom, but I've known other people that things weird things have happened. So it just makes me think that anything is possible. Yes, and uh, and you grew up near there, near near where all with the where uh, Tom Tillis. She she grew up near uh, where you guys were, and uh, no, she didn't. She didn't grow. Um, no, she didn't grow up in. Uh, Massachusetts area where this all took place. She, well, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were in Wellington, right? Was it Wellington? Um, yeah, West Palm. Royal Palm. West Palm. Yeah, West. Yeah, okay. So we we actually uh, Lana and I think I think we lived maybe uh, about five miles away from each other in, in Florida. But uh, what what happened with my father and and um, and everything in Massachusetts, which is where this monument now we haven't even talked about it yet. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that was Massachusetts, but. And Alana, um, you know, when Alana really took off in, in, in the early, uh, well, I guess late 1990s and early 2000s, um, you know, she um, I mean, she was putting everything under the sun. And, and you know, I don't know if I t- spent much time talking to her mother about this subject or not, but 
but um, at the height of everything, when we were just rocking, Miami models was like kicking butt. I mean, we were just on everything. We were we were working with CSI Miami. We were working with the Bad Boys 2. I worked on Too Fast, Too Furious. I actually worked on the casting for Survivor. I mean, we were doing so much work. And a lot of, man, it was just like we were was booking like something. What were we like booking like something like every week? It was ridiculous. And, um, and everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, wham, I get hit by this tractor trailer truck and, um, and everything just kind of, uh, just kind of came to a screeching halt. I had, uh, uh, you know, Sean running the office and uh, a woman by the name of Brenda who I used to work with. And, and, um, my wife Jennifer was there and, and, um, Heather, you know, was basically main in phones and all of a sudden it was just too much for people. No one knew who got paid, who, you know, you know, when you go to a casting, Lana will tell you this, you got, you can't wear logos. You got to wear a certain clothes, certain outfits. You got to be there a certain time. You got to bring a voucher for a particular agency. Well, may, maybe you're working for Famous Faces. Maybe you're working for Michelle Palmier one day or a Boca Talent or the Christensen Group or Azurae or whatever, Diamond, uh, Anderson Green Entertainment. You're going through different agencies all the time and you have to have the right vouchers and know where to go and who to sign what. And and it just started to fall apart. And I'm sitting here in a bed you know, um, unable to do anything. And it just became uh, difficult for people to handle. And, and then I don't know if Alana knows this or not, but my wife actually dropped divorce papers on my chest when I couldn't even walk or get out of bed to go to the bathroom. So it was a pretty mm-hmm. traumatizing time. And, and Miami models just kind of, um, you know, at the end of the day, I had to, uh, you know, I had to, um, I signed the paperwork over. You know, I, uh, I basically, um, sold the paper, you know, um, to Anderson Green, and that was basically the end of it. But but um, right after that happened, then uh, my father died. And so Alana was around during those years. I mean, she was one of my top booking models. I mean, she really was. She was on fire. Um, right. So at some point, in some respects, I feel like, you know, I let her down <laughs> by not continuing oh, to, no. oh. to, to work with her a little bit. So by having her launch my guitar line, I feel like um, I'm paying it forward a little bit too. So, and she, I agree. I think that, it. that it's good to give back, and and that uh, she is beautiful. Uh, she's for you, oh. and you need people that you can trust. I mean, there's so many people. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you know this, Alana, but there's like so many uh, people in this in the paranormal field, especially that you know a lot of us have turmoil because we can't trust anybody. People will say they're your friend, and then uh, and then something horrible happens. They'll throw you out in some way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that always goes. That also goes to the trust that he has in you. I'm not trying to put a big thing on you. I'm just saying, once you meet a friend, you want to hang on to him. You know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, we're, yeah. we're building these uh, networks of friendships of people that we can trust. Right. Actually, yeah, her I, mother. I, I, um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I apologize. Go ahead. No, I agree completely. It's not only that I just know Tom, but I think of him more as family. So I I, yeah. I completely agree. Trusting people, you have to be you have to be you have to be very safe with who you trust and who whom you tell your things to. Right. Right. So what about what about her mom? Oh, Thank when you. um yeah, her uh yeah, um her mother, um Actually, when I was uh, laid up, um, she actually came over and helped helped in the office a few times too. So, um, you know, that just, you know, you look back on that and you, 
you know, meet an awful lot of people, and, and there's always those handful that you go, you know, uh, that was really nice of them to do that, or you didn't expect that. You know, sometimes the people you think are your friends are the first ones to bail on you, and the ones that you didn't really expect are the ones that are there, you know, when you need them. So it's uh, it's funny how, right. how life goes. And, and as of right now, too, you know, um, the NAGS uh, guitar line, if I can mention that for a minute. Yes, um, please. NAGS, is, a, NAGS is, a, is the most exclusive guitar line, as far as I'm concerned, made. I mean, the average NAGS goes for five to $7,000, and they're all handmade, and and now with Miami Models, I actually, um, I used to know Peter Wolf. Um, I actually, when, before I started Miami Models, I used to be a stage manager for Northeast Concerts back in Hartford. And after that, I became a stage manager for Club Med for a while. I don't know how many people know that either, but um, but uh, I used to know Peter Wolf. And um, and Peter Wolf actually knew, uh, we had a mutual friend, his name was Jimmy Bell. And uh, he actually sponsored Jimmy. Um, when uh, Peter Wolf had was connected with um, Kramer Guitars, and so I got a call. Um, I don't know, maybe uh, two years ago, and um, but for brought by Peter, who asked me if I um, could help his son get into the modeling business. You know, he had his son's name is Damien, and um, and so I uh, I made some calls and 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 um, was able to help him out a little bit. And his son got signed, and so he called me back. He said, "Hey Tom, you'll appreciate it and all this. I hope it works because you know they live in Baltimore now, and um, there's not a lot going on in Baltimore. But you know, it's better. I did what I could. So he said, "Are you still working in the in the, you know in the music business?" And I had worked with uh, Brooke Hogan back in uh, Orlando, and um, a few others in the music business, and and uh, I represented a, a country singer and that sort of thing, and. And but, but not really. I was more into. I told him I was more into um, you know models and, and um, fashion and European print and and it's a lot with children. Children was really my thing. You know, I had a lot of luck. My children's board was amazing. Um, a lot of European print fashion. A lot of people don't know this either, but Miami is the print fashion for children's print. I mean, it's the capital for children's print fashion. It used to be. It used to be. And so I, uh, you know, I explained I'm not really doing much in music and. And he said, well, are you working with artists? And I'm like, well, sure. So he said, how would you like your own Miami artist guitar line? And that's how it happened. And I said, let me think about it. Sure. (laughs) 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 It's like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) How many do you want to make, you know? And so I designed it. Uh, The colors, I made it very Florida. I made it very teal, uh, white, um, you know. It's beautiful. I think that's uh, uh, one picture you posted. Yeah. Hey, here's the really cool thing. Back in the 80s, I'm sure you've got a lot of old rock and rollers listening. Back in the day of, um, you know, uh, Rat and Dokken and, and all the hair bands, of, you know, the great metal sound of, the, you know, the 80s, they used to use a lot of the players, um, guitar players used to use uh, the old JB pickup. They make the JB now, too, but it's not the same thing. But the old JB was no longer made. It was a kind of a harsh, you know, aggressive, awesome-sounding pickup. Well, they reissued them back a couple of years ago. So Seymour Duncan reissued the JB pickup as the 35th anniversary pickup. And now that pickup is the only way you can get that pickup. It's made exclusively for my guitar line. So that's really cool, too. That's so, wonderful. It is really so wonderful. I, so I got this awesome 
pickup for my guitar line, awesome manufacturer, an awesome model to help me launch it. So that's right. Um, <laughs> so uh, so <laughs> I'm bouncing back for somebody who couldn't even walk to the bathroom five six years ago. I'm still pretty good today. So um, you know I bounce back, but um, yeah, you got to you know keep moving forward. But um, so anyway, with everything I've done, right? I'm so mm-hmm. proud of Miami models. I really love doing that, but. It was something I chose, you know what I mean? I chose to go in that direction. And this thing that happened with us and the death of my father and, and everything that happened with me, it wasn't something I chose, you know, it was something that chose me. So I kept yeah. saying to myself, you know, do I keep going in this direction? Do I keep um, trying to uh, show the credibility of the family and, and who we were and, and try to carry that over into a subject that people, I don't think enough people uh, – take seriously um, outside, Mm -hmm. you know, those who have experienced something, you know, and I think it's starting to work. I think that, that um, the credibility of our family, the credibility of my father, the pillar standing, because my father, a lot of people don't know this either. My family has a proclamation, a local holiday in their honor. (laughs) October 6th. October 6th is a locally recognized holiday in Connecticut. Due to my it's just father. amazing. I know. And there's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. And there's a bench in the city green dedicated to our family. And I'm going to tell you something else that people don't know. And Lana doesn't even know this. I don't think. If she does, I'll be surprised. That from 1960s, how friggin' old I am, from 1960 to 1962, my grandmother was the governess for FDR's grandchildren. And I actually used to play and live in President FDR's grandchildren's home in Cherry Hills, Colorado, and used to hang in their own nursery. So when my father, I know, so when my father graduated law school. That means a lot to us Easterners. I don't know if anybody is listening to what I'm listening to, but, you know, the Rose of the FDR was, to me, an amazing person. And so was his wife. And I actually, when I lived upstate New York, I actually lived near that mansion there in Hyde Park. Did you really? So, yeah. So yeah, this, that's how this, I spent my uh, allowance was getting in to uh, do the tour of their house in upstate New York. That's weird. How cool is that? Well, this was oh, this cool. was in Cherry Hills, Colorado. Um, I don't know where they are now, but this is in the 60s. They lived in Cherry Hills. And, and so... That is kind of how my father got pushed into politics, to running for office, because my mother was captivated by it. You know, she really enjoyed politics and being able to do something different for people. And so that is kind of how, and at the end of the day, my father ended up running for office, being in office, getting this, you know, a friend to mention this at the United Nations, which in turn now became the very first UFO case inducted in history. So everything kind of aligned itself, you know? And, and um, yes. so it is kind of strange. And and so anyway, um, Nick, who was going to come on the air tonight, who I, I know Alana's spoken to him too, um, it's kind of neat. We're all becoming very good friends again. Um, the the thing that's cool about the monument now, that's been all over the news. I mean, if you unless you've been living in a cave the last six months, I mean, it's been everywhere. When I was on the cover of the Washington Times, it was in there, pretty much every paper out there. You saw that. This monument, 
these people who, and a lot of mentioned this earlier too, that a lot of people, you know, don't really like to talk about the subject, you know, still today, you know, or whatever paranormal stuff, um, did not want to mention that, you know, they had seen something or something that they couldn't explain or something performing acrobatical movements unknown to conventional aircraft and then, you know, get heat because their son works at the bank or something like that. So these people in Great Barrington, Massachusetts and Sheffield decided they walked into the Historical Society to give a statement, decided they didn't want to do it. And so the conversation came up, well, why don't you do something in honor of it then? You know, so you don't got to put your name out there, do something nice on behalf of it being inducted. So these people pitched in. Some people might have pitched in $5, some pitched in, you know, 100 whatever, and built this freaking six-foot, 5,000-pound monument. And the town said it was okay to stick it on the backside of this bridge, which is a closed-off road, not far from where it happened in 1969, while these people witnessed it, where it went on the radio station and everything like that. So it was perfect. So this woman, Tammy Blackwell, from the town hall of Sheffield, gave the authority, and you might know a TV crew or a show called New England Legends, okay? Um, they were there. <clears throat> they were going to film this monument being put there. So I was there, Nick was there, they were shooting, they were filming. And this monument gets moved to this location that was okayed by the town. Well, about three days later, some members of the community last name is Sears and a couple others, Kellogg, I think it was, maybe not Kellogg, but Sears for sure, and uh, this Barbara Lombard didn't want it there. They had second thoughts about it. Well, you can't just move a 5,000-pound monument, right? So, no. so the town gave, authority, uh, gave the approval to put it there and then kind of backpedaled because they thought that it took away from the ambiance and charm of this bridge that's in Sheffield. Now, they tried to say that the, the monument in this UFO case was not technically historic because it only happened in the 60s. And so the what? argument was, well, the argument was, well, 9-11 is historic and that happened, you know, fairly recently. And then the argument came out, well, it's not really a historic bridge that it's next to. It's a replica of the oldest bridge in Massachusetts. So, there was this big argument. I ended up getting letters from lawyers. I had to call my attorney. I called uh, my entertainment law attorney for Miami Models in Miami. You know, I called uh, Pesca and Kyle Silverman and a few others that, you know, they're old friends of mine. And unfortunately, <clears throat> they couldn't really practice in Massachusetts because they're Florida lawyers. But I had an address still in Florida because Miami Models is still technically active. Um, and so I, you know, I had to get them involved. Anyway, I went to lawyers. It was all over the papers. Anyway, the, I had to agree to move the monument like 25 feet to get it away from the bridge. So with all the press that's out there about the monument being defaced and moved, no, nope, it's still there. I won. This UFO monument is, as far as I know, the only UFO monument that was funded and paid for by witnesses it represents the first UFO case ever in the United States to be deemed true, and it now sits and stays and will remain next to the Sheffield Covered Bridge in Massachusetts. You know, we're just so proud of it, uh, uh, happy for you, and 
you know, this, it's a it's a small town, but it's so important because a lot of these very odd experiences happen along the East Coast. If you didn't notice, uh, that when uh, I was when I was born, that's when that first UFO flak with the pictures over the UFOs over Washington D.C. That's when I was yeah. born, and during the day and the week I was born, day week okay. and year I was born. No, yeah, I, it's like there is a great purpose to this, and I and I feel that. What those residents in the past have been angry about is something they're going to be happy about in the future. You know what I mean? They, but you have to. Oh, you I hope so. Had cur- yeah, you had courage to actually do something that will cause you a lot of flack. But you got to stick it out yeah. because it's going to be okay someday. Because uh, you know it's uh, okay. So we we talked about you know people that were against it and everything else, but you had all these people for this and people that won't speak for themselves, funded it. And uh, I wanted to say something else. Is that, what does the plaque say? That's what I wanted to ask uh, the, you. Do you know yeah, do the you plaque, have a copy where yeah. it says? Um, I know it's in the in the Berkshire Eagle. Uh, it says this uh, commemorative monument is dedicated to the, don't quote me exactly, but something to the effect that this commemorative monument um, is dedicated to the following, the first... Um, UFO, or it doesn't say UFO, it says off-world. First off-world incident to be officially and formally inducted as historically significant and true. And I can tell you that I've also uh, gotten a a call from a Daniel and a Carlos, believe it or not, from the Massachusetts governor's office. And I know that um, from what I understand, the governor's office is also going to issue a proclamation uh, recognizing the fact that a township has formally and officially inducted it as a true event. So that's coming, too. That's amazing. So, it's, it's really wonderful. Yeah, I know. And I'm hoping to get up there um, and and um, maybe, you know, if, if Alana's got time, get her up there and, um, you know, have an event. I know that um, the Historical <laughs> Society in the township uh, is looking to, um, I think, next uh, Labor Day... Maybe. Actually, okay. bring in Ben. Han- I think Ben Hansen's been invited. Mike Barr from Ancient Aliens, um, a good friend of mine too, um, to have a conference up there. And I think it would be, uh, you know, all those people that were very supportive. That would be exciting. To have a yeah, and they're thinking of doing a, a conference once a year up in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And I'll tell you, Great Barrington, Massachusetts is a great town. It's a very cool town. It's, um, it's. You know, cobblestone in some areas. It's got a railroad street. I mean, it's very, very cool. You know, it's a nice place. Sheffield, on the other hand, um, God, I wish it didn't happen in Sheffield. I could have <laughs> two miles away in Great Barrington. That is not man, right, they are, they, are, they are a weird bunch in some time. The town <laughs> itself is okay, but my God, I've never seen so many people so so angry over a subject. It's not like they were we were celebrating a serial killer, right? I mean it's it's historic and, and it's you know, something that's the first time ever and you would think they'd get behind it, but you know, these small towns they just stuck in their in their ways, I guess. But um you know, a lot of the people there were here we you know, you know how hard it was for someone to live in a small town that lives in a an area that that uh, does not accept anything other than, you know, what they're used to, you know. And then they come forward and they, they you know how much it costs to build a 5,000-pound monument and get forklifts and, and and move something there and then put a plaque on it just so the town can later go, 
always think it's silly or stupid. They they spray painted it. Some 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 older guy that lived there spray painted the friggin' thing. I'm thinking, here's a guy in a that represents a town that thinks the monument represents something stupid or silly. But here's a guy who's seventy years old running around with not one color spray paint, but two. Blue and white. Goes to the monument with blue and white spray paint. Sprays a freaking monument because he thinks the monument is silly. I mean, where's your thinking? Well, I mean, if I see just, some, a 70-year-old with spray paint. Very cans, immature. Very immature person and very fearful person. And I'm thinking, you know, a lot of times people have these, these kind of severe and strong uh, reactions because they've had experiences themselves. You know what I'm saying? There, like yeah. there's something that, because why would a person could care less about a monument unless it's triggering something within them? Uh, yeah. That's that's the weird part to me is why any, because then you're able to uh, keep your dignity and everything else. Man, I would be crying my eyeballs out. Right. You know what I mean? Well, if I they did that to something of mine, yeah. I would have just been crying, sitting by the monument yeah. crying. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. The pay, and here's the other thing. You got this this guy who writes for the Berkshire Record. His name is Terry. What an uninformed yeah. idiot! Um, I, actually, I've never seen a reporter more ignorant than this guy. He, um, he what he wrote was ridiculous. He writes like Tom moved the monument here. I didn't move any monument. I didn't build it. I had nothing to do with it. You know, I mean, he's criticizing the Boston Globe. He criticizes the Historical Society, criticizes all these people in writing, in the paper, about how they didn't do their homework and how this is a silly subject. And, he, and yet what he writes isn't even remotely close to the truth. That's the mentality that I find with people that just turns my stomach. You know, it's like the, it, it's the... Uh, I don't know. It's not even an arrogance. It's just, uh, you know, I, I don't get it. I don't get what's wrong with people. I mean, you know, it's it's like anything. You know, if you don't accept something or you can't figure it out or you can't wrap your hands around it, you cast stones, you know. He's no yeah. different than the guy who grabbed the spray cans and sprayed the monument. I mean, you learn more about the people doing the complaining than what they're complaining about. Yeah. Well, they don't example. even know. Do they know how many people are behind you, love you, your family? Or they know the history of your family. I mean, what is wrong with that dude? I don't know. And if you go online, you go on the Berkshire, um, go to the Berkshire Eagle. The Berkshire Eagle, I mean, there's a movie director who wants to do the movie. I mean, he contacted. Yeah. Here's another good story, you know, something that's good mm-hmm. for all of us, you know. I know I'm taking yeah. a, a lot of time. I'm sorry. But you know what? If I get this movie deal, Lana's in it. Um, have my word on it. Cool, Lana. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah. It's and my son. My I son will be in it. Oh, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's what it, I right? want to say as an aside <laughs> is that uh, Tom's son is also a model, was also a model, but he also was a very unusual child that actually was, uh, you know, had gifts, many psychic gifts. And then oh, he was he was amazing, older, yeah. Yeah, he was as he grew older. And Alana, did you uh, just to just to say something, Alana, for a second? Alana, were you aware that uh, his son's name? You knew his son, right? Yeah, I know him. Okay, so you know him. Just, so were you aware of his his gifts and uh, what was going on through that time? Because I know that 
it's kind of tapered off as he becomes an adult. But what during that time, were you aware of anything? I mean, I've heard something about it, but he's never, like, kind of personally told me about it. Probably not really a subject I want to, to talk about, but he's, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard about it. But, I mean, I believe it. I mean, a lot of people do have those type of abilities or those type of feelings. Yeah, my, my son was my, mathematically my brilliant. My grandmother had visions and stuff. She always would talk about it, how... You know, it's kind of like a deja vu thing, but she would dream about stuff, and then she would, you know, wake up, and not necessarily that next day, but somewhere along, you know, a week from then, that that something that happened in her dream, a scenario, would happen in real life, and she would tell tell me all the time as a kid that those were her visions, and she had an ability. That's exactly what happens to Chris. He, we sat there one day, and and you know, you you remember our house? You've been to my house, right? Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. You know, that little, you know that little porch that we used to have in front. My son, one day, we were sitting out there, and um, and he was all he was acting kind of you know like upset about something, or he just you know something was bothering him. That night, he got up and ran into my room. I was in a panic, and he goes, you know, he was all scared. You know, he was he was like something's wrong. You know, he was he was young. He's probably only um, I don't know seven. And um, he said the boat's gone because we used to have a boat on the side of the house. Not we had a bass tracker or a trailer for a while, and the boat's gone. And he was scared, you know, that we're in danger. And I was like, "Wow, what's wrong, you know? <laughs> you know, let's go back to bed, you know." And I let him crash in the in the bedroom with me because he was that shook up about it. And sure enough, you know, um, about a week later, uh, he 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 said there was a a white Toyota with no hubcaps on it going through our neighborhood, and that's what scared him. Anyway, to make a long story short, um, I had sold the boat two weeks later to his football coach when he was in like first, second grade football. And so the boat was gone. A car matching his description drove by the house, and the lady that lived next door to us, her name was Nancy, had been broken into, and the door that they broke into was adjacent to my son's room, the sliding door next to my son's room. So he had kind of like what she said, almost like a, a vision, like a dream that woke him up, that bothered him, and then about a week later, it happened, just like your grandmother. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah? Well, uh, a yeah. lot of us have that because I have the same thing. That's my thing is that uh, a dreaming, and I guess some of it is visions because now things are happening when I'm awake and I, I've seen things. Now it's... Uh, moved on to, like, futuristic things that haven't been invented yet. I just thought I saw something very strange a couple months ago, like a movie running on the side of a truck. And it didn't exist, but I saw it. But now Samsung's coming out with a movie on the side of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, you know, was one, I wish I was an inventor for half the stuff I dream up. You know what I, know, I mean? Right? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, uh, there's a purpose behind everything, as I feel like, that uh, we just have to go with it and not get scared. Uh, you also uh, not only have a movie coming out, uh, you actually have a writer that's doing your book. Yeah, I have um, this guy. Um, I Here's another, this is all um, so interesting, and I say that for a number of reasons. The, everything that has happened over the past six months has just kind of fallen into place. I, you know, I I was um, I had a, a girl, a model from Orlando that was going to do the guitar line, and then I got you know got in touch with her 
Alana's family got in touch with me again. Perfect timing because I'd much rather use her. Um, and then the thing with the monument ended up staying, not being moved. Um, the newspapers have been all except this jerk Terry from the Berkshire Record. Terry from the Berkshire Record, total jerk. Um, just wanted to say that one more time. Aside from him, the um, the Berkshire Eagle, the Boston Globe, everybody's been really, really um, supportive. And then, because of the monuments press, because of all the press the monuments gotten, I um, I got an email uh, from movie director Louis Morneau, who did the movie um, The uh, Werewolf, the Beast Within Us, and um, who had said in his email that uh, you know he was interested in meeting me and doing all you know talking further about this. So anyway, make a long story short, I actually met him in person. We had coffee, and um, great guy. Come to find out, his brother, Lenny Morneau, who lives in Avon, Connecticut, used to know me when I was a teenager. And so yeah. has always known about this to some degree. So this is how, this is how crazy it is. My ex-girlfriend, Holly, and Jennifer, Jennifer her best friend, started a hair salon. Lenny goes in there, um, or his brother, the movie producer's brother, they meet, someone who plays a, ta- a video of me being on the Fox Morning Show, you might have seen that a while back, about the UFO thing, gets to his brother, coupled with the monument and the press that gets. Now his brother, this big shot movie director, who did about, he did Bats with Lou Diamond Phillips, Retroactive with James Bellucci. Um, you know, he, uh, he's, a good, he's a good director, and he's got a, a flair or a taste or, or an interest in the paranormal stuff. Um, so I ended up having coffee with him in Santa Monica, California, and now uh, he sent the email saying it's okay to announce his interest in the film. And um, so he contacts WSBS Radio, and WSBS Radio was actually having Nick on the air with me that day to talk about Nick doing the project for my book and verifies he's going to do the movie after the book. That also got in the paper. Now, how Nick got involved is when all this stuff was going on with the newspapers, um, Nick was actually in the town hall, in the city hall with me, with others when the town hall gave permission to have this monument placed near the bridge, which he he went against, I guess, the whole town and different people when he stuck up and said, yes, you gave them permission because there was a, a selectman who was saying, no, you can't have it there. We didn't give you permission. What happened with the permission thing was that we went into the town hall like anybody else. You go into a municipality, I don't care about the motor vehicle department, you name it. You go into a town hall, you submit papers for approval for something. The lady at the desk says, come back tomorrow, come back Wednesday, we'll, we'll submit it. She gives a file back, comes out in, into, into the town hall. I'm there. Nick's there. Other people are there. And says, it's approved. So, so it came down to, well, she didn't have the authority to give you that okay. Look, if you, are, if you work for the town hall or the city, and the city comes back and says, yes, you have approval to put this monument there or these people who built this monument or funded this monument can actually have it placed at this spot and there's a picture shown and it's okay by the town, you should not have a problem with that 
But their lawyers or this this attorney that was working with this one particular selectman that was being told that shouldn't be there said, well, the t- those people involved should have spoken to the selectman directly. They're the ones who call the shots. What kind of thinking is that? You know, anytime you go to a town hall now to get an approval for something, you've got to question the people who work there, insult their you know, credibility and say, I don't believe you. I need to speak to your boss. I, I, even though this is signed and you're saying it's okay, it's not good enough, I need to, I need to speak to somebody, you know, your boss. That doesn't make any sense. So that was like, so Nick went to the papers and goes, look, I'm a reporter. You know, I also got contacts with Rolling Stone. I do this, you know, I, you know, whatever. I write these magazines, these papers, and I was there, and they had approval. So because he was so forthcoming and did what he did and put his neck out there, being that he lives in that town, I said, you know what, that's the guy I want writing my book. You know, anybody that honest and um, who stuck to his guns, has that kind of credibility, um, shows that kind of character, that's the guy I want writing my book. So that's how Nick got to do to write my book. And now Lenny Morneau, Louis Morneau, I'm sorry, Louis Morneau is going to do a film. It looks that way. And it's not going to be one movie. Or it looks like it's going to be a trilogy. He said to me, um, there's too many oh, generations, cool. too, many, too many years. You know, you're going from the 60s, 80s with the, you know, the, the United Nations stuff, your father running for office, and now the induction of the monument and all the news about the monument. It's almost like three separate small books, <laughs> you know. So his idea was to write three uh, novellas, you know, 150-page books under one hard copy because there's no way that if you were to make a movie hypothetically that you could, you know, go from the 60s to 2015. It just is too many too many years there. So Nick's going to write it. I think Lenny's got the, the movie um, coming out. Alana's going to be the spokesperson for everything. <laughs> you know, so. cool. Yeah, we, we <laughs> so, have to have her, and then also we need to see her down at the UFO museum. Now the Reed, the Reed case has already been has its own display at the International UFO Museum and Research Center in Roswell, New Mexico, and uh, we need to get her down there sometime because you, you, you it'd be a trip for you, Alana. <laughs> I don't know if you ever went. Oh, yeah. but, you know, that's when all the aliens and the you know, people get dressed up, and it's really kooky. Kook. It's cuckoo because I've been there, and uh, when I was there uh, a couple years ago, you know, people were dressing up like Avatar. So was, this really young girl was like had all at the whole body paint Avatar and everything else. But you know, it's just you meet your people there. You know, it's very, it's a lot of fun. It's turning, it's, it's turned into a big huge thing. And I know Tom's been there, and the, actually, what I've seen there is that, that Tom has his own. Um, your own display there in the the actual replica of the disc uh, that you saw that someone had made yeah. this beautiful this beautiful replica of what you saw, which is so amazing. So it's it's there. And along yeah, that was with, uh, where yep. where are the drawings of your childhood drawings of uh, the U.S. Yeah, that was the, um, the whole the whole Sheffield Great Barrington um, case, if you will. The, now it's being called the Labor Day case. Um, has its own wall. It's uh, it has uh, the sketches that I drew as a child are there. There are there are drawings from other people 
uh, related to our case that are on this wall. Um, there's a four-foot-high display that has, uh, you know, the discs spinning and lights on it that was made by uh, Tom Jensen, um, who has a company called T-Toys. Um, I think it's in Minnesota, not 100% sure. Um, but he made made display, um, did a great job with it, nice guy. Um, and, he, and it's donated to the museum. And I think there's a second one being made for the Historical Society that's going to mirror it. You know, it's going to be set up pretty much the same. I think the, the the Historical Society in Massachusetts is going to have almost an identical display at the Roswell View of Home Museum. So, from what I understand, oh, so I, yeah. I love it I'm, because to to us it's like Mecca. I mean, it's it's stupid. We get to go out all out to eat dinner together. You know what I mean? So we have we we have a lot of fun, and we see all our special friends, and uh, it's a it's a lovely time. And everybody goes eat to, out to dinner every night and eats with everybody. You know what I mean? So we'll have Tom Reed sitting next to him. We'll be Travis Walton sitting next to him. We'll be Yvonne Smith and sitting next to her. You know, it's like that. You know what I mean? That we're right. all over there. And so, Alana, if you're going to be the spokesperson, you're going to – I don't know if he's going to make you dress up <laughs> as an avatar. <laughs> but uh, you have to put one of those sexy uh, face uniforms on or something cute. Oh, yeah. You'll see me dress up, definitely. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cute? I think it would be cute because – it's uh you know it's a fun it's relaxing and uh you know hopefully I'll make it out there uh next year and uh you know then we can all hang out and all that but especially Tom you have to commemorate all your stuff there because uh you know it's amazing to all of us we're we're actually lucky that to have you and that you came out because if you did not come out you know we wouldn't have all just think we wouldn't have all this you know wealth of information. And, and your poor pop, well, God rest his soul, uh, that he might be operating from beyond. Because I don't believe that we really die. I believe that he's still there. He knows all the secrets now. And maybe some of our loved ones that passed are orchestrating some of this. I don't know. But it's too strange. How how do we all know each other? It's, yeah, strange. it's kind of weird. Was, it is kind of interesting that everything is somewhat falling into place and you're not I'm not even looking for yeah. it, you know. Um, no. And uh, it's falling right you know, I got a call, Yeah. Yeah, I got a call from Alana's mother out of the blue and it was just like perfect timing. And um, you know, the thing with Nick, you know, I was actually I had a writer by the way who was actually an agent, a book agent. And I let him go for Nick because um, you know, everyone wants a book agent cuz they got you know, they can get into any publishing house pretty much. Um, but when things feel right, they feel right. And I think, you right. know, your head's, your head's going to tell you one thing, your heart's going to tell you something, but your gut never lies to you. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I just, I always go with my gut feeling. And um, and right now, I, I think everything is, is coming together. And and I really hope that this, um, you know, guitar line uh, that Alana's going to work with me on, um, you know, um, really gets her attention again because she certainly deserves it. Um, yeah, he's an amazing model, by the way. I mean, I don't like to talk about it enough, but I mean, I remember mm-hmm. seeing um, seeing some of her stuff. Or, what was it when you did Polo Black Label? Weren't you on a yacht or something when you shot that? Um, oh. yeah, actually, I was. I was actually twice. What what happened? What? You, cause I remember seeing some of the some of the um, tear sheets. I don't know if they know what a tear sheet is, but what where um, was that? Off from Miami. Yeah, that was in Miami. It was like, um, um, oh, I'm trying to think. 
this I remember seeing like a book thrown out of like a wooded boat, like wood, wood, wood planks or something. I don't remember seeing the tear sheet for it and the ad for it. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it this type of, this is just seems to be tying so many people together that need it and deserve it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They, they need it and deserve it, and it's all coming together because, you know, it's, uh, it's, Okay, so the thing is that we're all determined to uh, keep rolling with it and keep going and rolling with the punches and everything else. But also to get encouragement and confirmation is the greatest satisfaction. You know, so you must feel, you know, some kind of satisfaction that you, you have gotten all this acknowledgement for what you and your family went through because you went through a lot. However, you did get the accomplishment of uh of getting all this acknowledgement, which is, is awesome. Because you know, most of us are, have been hiding in the closet. I didn't come out till like three years yeah. ago, even though I've been to Yvonne Smith's group for over 22 years. But it's yeah, I'm still, going back out to California. I told you that. Yep. Yeah, you know, no, the thing so is, I didn't... I didn't. time you coming yeah. out here? I'm Tell going to California that. July. Well, I'm going to Phoenix. I'll be in Phoenix next month. Um, and, and then um, in July, I guess. Well, yeah, July I'll be in uh, California. I'll be in... Um, I guess it's. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's, isn't uh, it? Is it Burbank? I is think that Culver it? City. I think you're being Culver City. I think that's where that yeah. is, or Santa Monica, yeah. or somewhere like. But you'll like Santa Monica. Santa Monica is cool. I love it. Yeah, hey, I so, love it so, over there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I love Cal. I moved to California, but it's just too darn expensive for me. <laughs> it's too expensive. Yeah, because I'm moving. It's I'm ridiculous. moving the other way eventually. But uh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that, you know, this whole thing, when my brother and I decided to talk about it, it was only because my father, we lost our father on the same day that our case went to the U.N. We never did this for, uh, to get our, you know, you, this is a subject you jump in and then jump out again. You know, you, once, once you jump in, you're pretty much, you know, it, 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 you jump in with both feet and that's it. I mean, it's it's, you can't just... Uh, you know, a step away from it. Like my brother was getting heat with his work because, you know, he, they didn't feel that this was a good idea to talk about this or do the TV shows about it because when he goes for jobs, you know, obviously they, you know, yeah. they use headhunters and everything and they Google his name and the next thing you know, you're you're connected to something that most, a lot of people don't uh, particularly uh, find uh, a reputable topic or something. You know, people are idiots. But anyway, so when this happened with my father, you know, we were like, we we need to say something. We need to do something. I was at the funeral with my mom, and we and busloads of people showed up. I mean, it was just unbelievable. The mayor spoke at his funeral, and I'm sitting there in the front pew, and they, they asked me if I wanted to say a few words. I couldn't even talk. I mean, I was very close to my father. And we walked outside, and, and uh, my brother and I, and uh, we just looked at each other, and we just knew that, Something, even that day, something wasn't right. You've got 365 days a year that you could pass. And you talk about something that, in some respects, he had some classified information. Whether or not, how serious it was, I don't know. I don't even know what half the stuff is that he had. But you talk about it, and then you're killed on the same day. You know, that, that resonated a lot. And I see my mother... My mother couldn't even speak. I mean, she was devastated. I was almost killed. And 
then, of course, Bletchman, who, who took this to the United Nations, passed shortly after my father, and then a doctor who went public passed. And you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, what do we do? Do we do nothing? If we don't do anything, we're, we're condoning it, right? I mean, you're just condoning yeah. the fact that we know something's wrong and didn't do anything about it. You can't really go to the papers, really, because they're not going to, you don't have enough proof, you know, and that's, who knows if they're going to write a story about it anyway. So what do you do? You have to go public with it. And that's the only reason we started to talk about it. And then the next thing we know, the the town rallied behind it. The TV shows came out. People had seen the TV shows up in New England and said, I remember that. My brother remembered that. You know, my, my nephew sketched one of those things or my grandson sketched one of those, you know, sketches at Sheffield School that was being talked about. The radio station, um, you know, WSBS radio, still was there, still remembered broadcasting it. And by the way, WSBS radio, who broadcast the sighting that we were involved with in 1969, their letter has been hanging in Roswell for, for as long as I can remember. There, if you go to Roswell, WSBS letter hangs on the wall. <laughs> they used I know, to hang in, it's uh, amazing. You know, so well, that's growing out there too. I think it's it's growing. It's had to expand, you know, and, and eventually it's going to turn into a big whole other thing. Because I know every time Yvonne goes out there, they take all they they actually sell all her books. Anything she's carrying, how many of these she can carry, it's all gone. People are very interested in this. And I wanted to uh, read you something that uh, the the UFOs and you know alien encounters have always been like a fringe uh, thing of society in American culture. But I just want to let you know that uh, in a poll that it's in, it's in 2012, and it's studied in some market research company anyway, uh, that 36% of Americans believe aliens have visited Earth. So if, if they believe that they've landed 36%, that means at least half of the Americans believe in UFOs. Some 36% believe that they've landed. Well, if you just look at... You know, I don't think our federal government backs NASA with billions of dollars a year because they're coming back with moon dust. You know what I mean? I mean, the the, the amount yeah. of black budget dollars that are spent in off-world exploration is insane, you know? It's, it's incredible. Not, you know, okay. we're not okay. sending... Yeah, what? So it's a time on time. So me and my best friend have been friends for 40 years, believe it or not, about 40 years. So we've been with each other's marriages, divorces, kids, grandkids, and everything else. But we've also been fellow abductees together. We've been abducted together and have witnessed each other's abductions and all this other stuff. It's really intense. However, you know, the way we started out was in platform shoes, big hair, and in the disco club. So... We were drinking, and we used to think we're having all these weird experiences because we're drunk. I swear to God, we thought we were drunk. Then we realized that it was pretty crazy. So anyway, then we realized, because I've seen your picture from the 80s too, dude. I saw that hair. Anyway, then... (laughs) I, I had big hair too. So anyway, then... What happened was, as life went on, you know, we ended up in these really, sometimes we sit, we're, we go to Denny's, you know, we're, we're getting old now. We go to Denny's together, so we're sitting there, we start laughing at each other, because now she's a rocket scientist, and I'm a counselor and for the feds. 
so we're like we laugh at each other thinking now how the hell did this happen you know what i mean but she's had me keep some and i can't mention her name on the air because of it she's nasa trained and she uh, works for a big aviation company right and she works on the rockets and the satellites and all that so one day she says uh certainly we've had a lot of bizarre experiences together but my point is one day she called me and she says i gotta come over i gotta tell you something i went what because I'm now working on a satellite that's actually looking for life on other planets. After all this time that she was sworn that there's nothing out there, now they're looking for it. It's switched around. I said, well, why did they try our living room? Because that's where they are. <laughs> we were laughing so hard, but we were actually looking at each other. She's standing on the front porch staring at each other because of how bizarre it all comes around. You know what I mean? So it's better to be out with it and be honest, you know. Yeah, I, I think the tide is changing, and, and, and I, I, you know, you're either ahead of the wave, riding the wave, or behind the wave, and I've never been one to be behind the wave, you know, I mean, I like to be out front, and, you know, I, I pretty much, uh, yeah. you know, do, do I, you, I know. Okay, do you, okay, do you yeah. believe that you were, like, uh, uh, Yvonne's book, do you believe that you were chosen for this, you and your family? I think, I, I don't know, I, I, I think, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, why do you think this happened in your area? Because what happened with our family wasn't isolated to us. I mean, let's face it, all four towns blew up on. I mean, we just happened to own the 80 acres of property where... Okay, just steady your uh, phone a little bit, Tom. Well, okay. battery's probably dying. Okay, good. That's good. Yeah, yeah go actually, ahead. It's not, okay, actually, it's not too bad. Um, yeah, that's good. You know, if you, if you look at where we lived, okay, this farm, it... First of all, Hartford, let's say the city of Hartford is only like 50 feet above sea level, okay? Um, where our farm was was only about 50 miles from Hartford, it, and but it's only 100 miles outside New York City. But it's also 2,800 feet above sea level. So our land, our property, our farm in Sheffield is very high. It's almost 3,000 3,000 feet above sea level. Now, there were, and you can Google this yourself, there were Nike missile sites up in New England. There were Minutemen missile sites. You've got Command Aerospace, KMD, which was only, what, 45 miles from our farm. General Electric, you know, General Electric said everything. Sikorsky Mm -hmm. Aircraft, Sikorsky's there too. And you've got Pratt & Whitney. And you've got the nuclear submarine base there, you know. So you've got nuclear weapons. You've got all these government manufacturing facilities all within 50 miles around you. And yet you've got our farm was the highest elevation for 1,700 miles of road. It's the highest elevation south of North Dakota with no fly zones, right, because you've got missile sites and Nike missile sites. So hypothetically, if you were to um, test a new type of aircraft, or 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 had a crashed or downed or you know um, disc or off-world vessel, and you were trying to fly it, or you were trying to learn how to use it, or there was a mult or a, or a connection there somehow with a joint effort to to do something, that would be the spot to do it. Because you've got all the every manufacturer that could possibly work or fix or make something or back engineer something all within an hour away, and 
on top of that, where our farm was, the highest elevation, there are valleys up there. So it's not like you could see anything. And then you've got my mom in the station wagon just happened to be at the wrong spot at the wrong time. Maybe it's as simple as that. Or maybe it's something more. But yeah, I think it's very odd. And this was something that was pointed out to me, actually. I wasn't even the one who thought of this. I was at the... Uh, I was in um, Phoenix at the International UFO Congress. And, uh, and people were saying to me, you know, did it ever occur to you that you've got six different manufacturing, you know, government manufacturing uh, companies all around you, and in your, and you've got Nike missile sites in your mountains? I thought to myself, well, you know, how bizarre is that? And then you've got, the Hudson River Valley case where they saw those UFOs in Hudson River Valley. Remember that? That was only oh, what? The, yeah, I that, live near the only, Hudson. Okay, well, that was what? A half an hour away? So they were that, seen over there. Is it a half too? hour? Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know. Well, I live so close, I used to swim in the Hudson. Not that it was a good idea back there, back then, but, yeah, I was there till 65. And then I came back to California. Lot of, there was a lot of activity over there. And yet, Very much so. So think about all the think about all the major government manufacturing companies out there, and every single one of them is within fifty miles of Sheffield. It's just uh, it's just uh, surprising how it's uh, it's fitting together, and that uh, we're like all from that area. It just strikes me so odd. I just can't quite get my mind around it sometimes, especially. Uh, the how we know the same people, and that uh, as we were talking about earlier, we know somebody that actually is, does his uh, shows like right near here, like just within blocks, because uh, you know we, we know him. It's weird, you know. And he did yeah. actually didn't he do Travis's uh, movie that that the new uh, movie about Travis? Yeah, he did. He oh, got an award. He got an award for that. You mean she did? She did, and he got yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was one. there. I was, I was actually with Travis when he got the award. You were there. You were there too. Yeah, I was there. That's, I, I wasn't weird. on stage with him when he went up. I mean, I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was uh, with him that day. It was last November. Yeah, we were in, we yeah. Were in Phoenix. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Jennifer Stein. Jennifer Stein did it. Yes, that's right. You're right, and yeah. it's a, yeah. that's a small world because you know that's where he has his station rent place in the warehouse. So I go over there all the time, uh, yeah. looking at. Uh, he has a part of it built like a spaceship inside, so it's really cool to film in there and yeah. all that. So matter of fact, really Jennifer Stein. Yeah, Jennifer Stein and I went to dinner um, when I was in New Mexico, and we talked an awful lot about it afterwards. Um, and uh, cool. I think just interesting. And, yeah. Yeah, she's cool. But um, anyway, is there anything, Ayolana, while you're still there? Yeah, yep, I'm still here. Oh, I, just, sure? I don't want to, yeah, I just feel so, like I, sh- I should give her the floor for a minute before we hang up, right? Yeah, we are, because it's, it's time to wrap up. But but I wanted to say is that, you know, I am very, uh, Tom, we're all behind you. Um, we're really proud of you and excited for you. And and part of your, uh, your life drive is actually, uh, art and music and modeling and things like that. So you're really into photography, into the arts, and that's why you're doing the new guitar line too. Because music, you know, is your lifelong love. And uh, 
Alana is going to be uh, uh, talk about the the music line too. So uh, that's how we'll wrap up the show, talking about what's going to happen next with the guitars and stuff like that. So uh, Alana, yeah. did you want to say uh, something as we close for the night? Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Yes, but anyway, for the guitar line, I'm actually going to be going to Tennessee. Um, I think Tom in October 12th. Uh, November, yeah, November maybe, yes, and um, yeah. we're going to actually, we're doing a shoot, Alana um, is going to be doing a shoot yeah. at, uh, it's going to be um, at Lane Music in Knoxville, actually, so Alana's coming to Tennessee to do the, uh, the, the um, basically a shoot for the NAGS website and, um, you know, for the promo for the guitar launch, so she's going to be, uh, she's going to be in town. Didn't you do a shoot today? Weren't you taking some shots today? Um, yeah, I took that, some yes. photos today. You know, that was oh, pretty okay. cool, but I'm also trying to pick out some cool outfits that are going to go with the guitar because, you know, I, I kind of want to have the same type of persona every time I go. Like, whenever I go in November to Tennessee, I'm going to go to an event, which is pretty awesome. I and mean, I'm just happy that I get the opportunity not only to work with Tom, but just to be a part of the whole story because at the end of the day, the story is huge. And yeah. I just... I, you know, it just not only, and I just think because, you know, Tom's coming out with this and he's he's telling what happened to him, it's going to give other people who have been through this, you know, the the courage and the bravery to maybe come out with what has happened to them. Because, you know, most people are so scared that they don't know what to say. They don't want, they don't know what people are going to think, but they're going to see what Tom's doing and they're going to take that and, you know, maybe come out with something else or something that happened that's crazy. You know, with the that's whole movie right. and the book that's coming out, you know, in the movie, I'm I'm just so happy to be a part of it, and I couldn't thank Tom enough, to be honest. So, again, thank you, Tom. No, and you're thank welcome. you so much, Tom. And then uh, thank <laughs> you, Alana, so much for being on. You know, I just want to thank you for being on and having the courage to come and, and talk about this tonight because uh, you're sticking your neck out, too, but just join the club, okay? And I want to <laughs> thank you, God. And a lot, you know, it's gonna, it's cool because we look forward to seeing much more of you, and uh, to see you around. And you've got to show up and uh, come down to Roswell sometime and see us. And uh, we're looking forward That's to seeing you in that movie and everything else and the guitars and just any. It's just wonderful. So I just want to thank you so much for being on live with us tonight. And uh, you take care and have a good evening, Alana. Thank you so much for the opportunity for having me on here. I appreciate it as well. Thanks, You're Alana. very welcome. Okay, good good Thank night, you, Alana. Good, good night. night. Good night, guys. Okay, Tom, Tom, I want to just tell you that, you know, it's been wonderful having you on. You know, I've got a tremendous amount of feedback and people calling in and hanging on the phone and everything else. And I had a lot of questions. But that will be for another show. And uh, I just want to thank you and encourage you to uh, just keep it up. Don't give up, brother. Just keep going because uh, – you know, you took it a lot better than I did, and uh, I'm really proud of you that for that. And we all stand with you, you know, as you go on this next adventure in life. And uh, it's very, very exciting for all of us. And we appreciate well, you being on the Paranormal Sacred tonight. Oh, it's, it's great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I apologize for, for what happened last time. I guess I just couldn't get through. But, um, you know, things happen for a oh, reason. And worry. I think tonight was a was a great show, and I'm glad Alana was able to make it. And thanks for having me. And and uh, I can always, uh, anyone's ever got any questions or just wants to reach out to me, um, um, you know, my website's uh, T-O-M-R-E-E-D dot info. 
and I do my best to uh, my emails on there. I'll do my best to get back to everybody. I um, I don't like when someone doesn't respond to me, so you know <laughs> I make sure that I get back to everyone that I can. So um, anyone has yes, any so questions, my, go to my website and email me, and I'll be happy to uh, I'll do my best to to answer what I can. Yes, thank you so much. And then where are you going to be next, uh, the, your next stop? Uh, where are you going to be sharing live? Well, this is something I haven't told anyone. Um, I think I'm, I, after this year, I don't think I'm going to be doing many conferences anymore. You know, I've, I've got to okay. get back to my okay. um, livelihood. Um, my mother um, actually had a open-heart surgery, and we almost – she's living with oh, me boy. now. She's staying with me, so i got to keep an eye on her, and I've got a son I'm raising yeah. and, and a work to do, and – and so I don't know if I'm going to have the time to get out there like I, I have been, but um, okay. But I do know I, I'm always at the at Roswell, and um, I'll lose yeah. that. I do Dragon Dragon Con is in there every year. I'm at Dragon Con, but um, I I think next year I'm I'm going to be going out to see Yvonne Smith at Zero. Yeah, I've got a few uh, conferences, um, but uh, I am going to be backing off from it a little bit. I I just don't have the time. Uh, I hope to get to um, you know maybe contact in the desert. Um, that was something that was supposed to be there this year, but but uh, there was a little bit of a mix-up there. But um, my next, uh, I guess my next one lined up, um, I'm going to be in um, Phoenix at Phoenix MUFON, and then I believe I'm going to Sedona that same week. And then um, and then I guess that's basically uh, it for the year. Um, and then next year, it looks like DragonCon, um, Roswell, um and a couple others, and then I'm just going to slowly back off a little bit. I just don't have the time anymore. You know, I just don't. So, well, you have to work. You have to work and concentrate on your art. So that's what I think you should be doing. It's going to be a good thing. But, you know, we thank you yeah. again for being on and sharing with us. And yeah. and no worries. Uh, you know, forget about what the, the early part of the show is because it's going to be gone. Anyway. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Don't worry. It has to do its thing after the show, but then then I'll take care of it because I learned how to actually edit my own audio now. So take care of that. I will. So so Good God bless. You. Take care and our prayers are with your mother and God bless you and yours. And uh, thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, Cher. Talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Tom Reed and uh, Alana, Alana Tremblay, and I want to thank them. We're friends with Tom Reed and uh, – of course, we of the show love love him, and our prayers go out for his mom and that she had open heart surgery. God bless her, and that she heals fast, and that everything will be okay. And so keep them in your kind thoughts. So coming next week, we'll have another astonishing guest at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every Friday. The paranormal is sacred. That's where we are. Don't forget about us. Anyway, because we don't forget about you. Anyway, follow links to contact me and leave me a message. You'd like to be part of our show or for general help and assistance. I want to thank all of you guests in chat. You guys are the bomb. And also for the call-in and people that listen, we appreciate you. I'm sorry I couldn't get to everybody's call. We uh, just got too busy and uh, this was an awesome show tonight. I want to thank again uh, Tom and Alana for having a, a wonderful show tonight. And remember to tell your friends, paranormal and the sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard. And recommend us to your family and friends. And God bless you, everyone. May your best dreams come true and true love in your heart. Love you. Bye-bye.